everybody. Welcome to Frame Trap. I am your moderator, Ben Moore. With me today, I'm joined by Mr. Daniel Bloodworth. Hello. And Michael Huber. Hello. Uh, it is post E3. Yes. On this show, this show where we talk about video games, the things we love, the things that we don't love, and everything in between. And post E3 is always a little bit hard for me because I think when you're going through E3, you're just so caught up in the now and the way yeah. that you can't be, I think, at any other time for video games throughout the year because it's just so much happening. It's one big announcement by one big announcement by one big announcement. <laughs> and then you've got, you know, things to look forward to and your mind starts racing. And it's just this rush of energy. And then it ends. <laughs> and then you've got to wait until September, October, early 2019 for these things that you got so excited about. And you uh, realize how much energy through. your body was actually using. <laughs> right, right. I feel like I did not sleep for three days, but I felt like I slept for three days, you know, mm -hmm. where I was just kind of in a catatonic state, I think. And so that's really my question to kind of warm us up for this frame trap is how are you dealing with post E3, and I want to start with Huber because I feel like you give the most energy at E3. Slept for like 13 hours yep. on that Friday. Um, and yeah, uh, haven't really had time. Like I thought I would have a bunch of time to just kind of chill out afterwards. Mm -hmm. But you guys know how it is. It's just, you know, yeah. E3 kind of like stopped production on everything so then right. when e3 ended it was like the the claw it was clogged up yeah <laughs> so it's like i've just been working a bunch but uh you know when i have had free time i've just been playing Fortnite and catching up on anime nice <laughs> so, what anime are you catching up on boruto yeah how is it right back now? at it so good nice. i love it it's cool. just a, like a warm blanket yeah comfortable and Fortnite is kind of that. Same, yeah. Yeah. Because you can play Fortnite on your own or with friends, which I primarily play with. Right. So, yeah. Is it, when you're playing Fortnite, since you, you've been playing for a while, and yeah. I think you've, you've gotten pretty decent at it, uh, you may not think so, but just from my level looking at you, I, I think got, you've gotten I, pretty decent. I got a win the other day. There you Solo go. Solo victory. There you go. <laughs> uh, are you relaxed when you're playing Fortnite? Or yeah. do you take it pretty seriously? Uh, relaxed until the final showdown. Mm. And then that's when it's... So you have a lot of time during the match to kind of mentally prepare. Because you're like, yeah. hey, if we're not in the final showdown, whatever. It doesn't exactly. matter if we exactly. die or not. Blood, how are you doing? Uh, and huge shout out to Blood. I know we've already given this shout out, but it needs to happen again. This man made E3 possible. He <laughs> did personalized schedules for every single ally, which he does every year. And... We just wouldn't be able to function without him. It's yep. the, E3 is a chaotic mess, and when you're waking up super early to be somewhere, you just pull up this Google Doc that Bloodworth has handcrafted for you. He's allotted time for lunch. He's allotted. He's made aware of how far things are from each other, um, and he plans that out. And so he just does a tremendous job, and he deserves your respect for that. <laughs> and love. At least I think so. Love and respect. And love and respect, yeah. But anyway, how's post-E3 treating you? Um, yeah, so... Kind of like Huber, like I think I woke up like around 5 p.m. Yeah. on Friday. Yeah, <laughs> just just kept kept on sleeping. That's always a depressing feeling for me. Whenever I wake <laughs> up past like noon, I'm like, oh god, not that day. Where, not that yeah, day. Not sure, that day. not that day. That's fair. And I was like, I was very like conscientious. Of, like I'm not gonna bug anybody about anything on Friday. Uh, but then it was like, then it, it became a little bit of a struggle. It was like. Okay, this week's coming up, and there's like actually a lot to do this week, and like I'm not hearing back from everybody, anybody because like everybody's out of it. <laughs> so it's like, are we gonna do this thing? Is this we gotta do spoiler mode? Yeah. Like, 
Are we doing this other spoiler mode? I guess not, but like nobody actually knows or says anything about it. Like, it's a little bit of that's like just like trying to pick it back up, and then like yeah, like we've both had reviews that were like halfway done. Yep. And so like getting back into Onrush, and uh, oh yeah, and then I tried to stream Onrush, but like XSplit wasn't having it, and then found out that like basically the thing that fixed XSplit for me was to take my computer outside and dust it as it's been on my to-do list for the past year. And I dusted it and everything worked fine. Nice. Hilarious. Nice. The importance of dusting. (laughs) I dusted my PS4 for the first time ever. My PS4 needs it the most. Terrified me, Because you have to, like, rip the top off, and it sounds like you... It sounds like you're killing it. It sounds like you like could throw it on the ground. That's right. the sound it makes. I'm just like, <laughs> it's like ah. Yeah, I watched a video and it, it, he said basically the same thing. It's like this is gonna sound really left, but don't worry, it's fine. And then you yeah. hear it and you're like, I don't know. I did it That's once so and I was like, I'll never do this again. Yeah, <laughs> it was mm-hmm. one time. Yeah, I need to get some compressed air. Some I need to dust out my PS4. Needs it the most and my PC. Both need it. Uh, but speaking of E3, we've got some stuff from E3 to talk about, and one of those things uh, that I think we're both excited to talk about, that we both played, Bloodworth and I, is Mutant Year Zero. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this one was weird because they wouldn't let us talk about it during E3. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had this, like, we're going to move, we're going to have an embargo, and we're just going to move the embargo, and like, oh, okay, but, uh, but yeah, so we finally got to play this game, and I was curious about this game when they first announced it. And then I got to see it at GDC, um, and it's very much like XCOM. I think you walked away feeling like it might be a little too much like XCOM um, maybe in terms not, of the combat. Maybe not too much. I was just surprised d- down to like the way that the symbols looked for cover, the way that you would move around the grid. It's it was like felt completely ripped out of XCOM. Not necessarily in this terrible or offensive way because I think a lot of the things that XCOM is using other things have adapted and it's pretty general anyway but just visually mm-hmm. even the way that you would like change elevation when you were when you were attacking somebody in a building and you'd see the top of the building and the middle of the building and down like just the way that the camera moved felt like it was from XCOM as well. But you have um, all that exploration in between. You're right. You have all that exploration I, in between. I find, I find that part pretty interesting because you have a flashlight and there's sort of like a stealth mechanic nice. where like turn your flashlight off and enemies will you know they, they won't see you like they have a range of vision that you can kind of see mm. and you, and when you turn that flashlight off then okay it gets smaller but can you fl- blind them with the flashlight i don't think so okay. could be wrong but i don't think so i didn't see any yeah of that um and, but when the flashlight is up you actually move faster because your characters don't like have oh. to pick their way through the dark. Got it. Cool. Um, and setting up that ambush is so important uh, because, because if you they just didn't give us like any kind of tutorial, <laughs> right? Like, Here's a big hard area. Good luck. <laughs> right. I I think when you're doing a demo to three, there might be a slight temptation to be like, okay, let's just get into a fight. And the way that you want to use the stealth is you need to see where everybody is because if you just run straight in, they're going to completely surround you. Yep. They're going to destroy you on like their first turn. Um, and so just from a getting your position standpoint, it is really useful to kind of go around the perimeter and make sure you know where all of the threats are in a cool and way. And I think the mistake I made is like not identifying what the perimeter was. Right. And so I like, all right, I see this, this med bot 
here hanging out and uh you know he doesn't seem to be in anyone's line of sight so i'll take him out and nope that was a bad call that just blew the whole thing for me <laughs> because he like had super strong armor Oof. and once he was attacked then all these other people were alerted and started coming at me and i'm like ah dang it <laughs> I guess it's over. Dang. Getting those <laughs> armor piercing rounds or something. Yeah. yeah. The, the, and that's the thing. It's like there's so many other like little nuances and skills and texts that like wasn't really sure like how to make the best use of. Because when I saw them play at the GDC, I knew that ducks had this thing called moth wings, which like lets right. you get up in the air and like snipe at dudes. Nice. But I didn't really know how to use it effectively. Okay. And I'm like, wait, no, that's that's well, not doing they what just, I like, thought it was going to do. Did they just throw you into the situation? There was no like. They set it up a little of... bit, um, <laughs> and <laughs> it was one of those things where I was going through the demo and I was like, ah, okay, and then reloaded and had a much better. Like you just kind of needed that run to get your feet wet yeah. a little yeah. bit, uh, and just and this is a very XCOM thing as well. But when you're taking cover, like you kind of scan the situation. You're like, okay, putting my person behind this point of cover should be good based on what I'm seeing. But you have to think ahead. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, they're probably going to move down here, and then my cover spot is completely terrible. And so you kind of have to be able to anticipate how the battle is going, not just that initial ambush. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of the ambush, you have, and this is something they did emphasize to us, you have weapons that are used for stealth. So when you're doing that first strike, you want to use these weapons. And like, then like once... Like melee weapons or No, like silenced, silenced weapons. Got yeah. um, and then once the battle actually happens, they're like, switch weapons. We see people not changing their weapons that they're supposed to use for stealth and changing like their primary combat weapons. And I like that too. That's just cool. the, the kind of like, okay, what am I bringing into battle? What do I want to use for stealth? What do I want to use for main scuffles? And then uh, I didn't really get the opportunity to really take advantage of it but you can use explosives like grenades and stuff um and they said like don't use those to like try to take people out because they're not going to do like that much damage to opponents but which i didn't agree with actually because in practice because they're like hey this is primarily meant to destroy cover so you can get a better shot like blood wars just said uh but it was doing three ticks of health and what's nice about it is sometimes you're not able to get a clear shot, but you can throw a grenade over and into something. Nice. And so it was really useful for taking down guys that I couldn't otherwise easily reach. Yeah. I don't know. Nice. But uh, but yeah, you can blow up like whole whole walls and stuff. And then yeah. uh, I was able to go into the building. There was like a, a chest up there with some other gun or something like a shotgun, I think, maybe. Um, so yeah. Does I think XCOM have that, Ben? Huh? Like, uh, does XCOM have loot in the in the map? There are, there are things that you can pick up, yes. Okay, so there, okay. are, there are enemies that will drop something, and then you have a certain amount of turns to pick it up and gather it. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, is, are there, like, chests? But, yeah, like, like stuff like that, like the exploration aspect. Um, I don't remember anything. No, yeah, I don't remember or, any yeah. loot chests, but, yes, enemies would drop specific cool. things that you can cool. pick up. I like that. Yeah. Like, because uh, I feel like, you know, so many, like, tactical RPGs like that, it's a, it's a matter of, like, being the most efficient getting in position but when they add incentive to kind of explore a little more maybe mm-hmm. like get out of position is a ri- getting out of position is a risk but like yeah. getting a chest well and, and with that one cool. too you know like there are some enemies up there that you'd need to deal with but you could you know sneak your way in there as, mm-hmm. as well and, and like get that without necessarily alerting too many people nice. or maybe lure the people out of that upstairs area and then go up afterwards and, and grab it cool. um 
Another thing that I really like in comparison to XCOM, and I think you would like this too, Michael Huber, is you're, you're playing named characters, and the sections in between battle where you're freely running around and exploring and gathering stuff, uh, you know, they're, you're getting a sense of who these characters are. They're talking to each other. They're building that relationship. Whereas you think of something like XCOM, the most direct comparison, there are named characters, and there is definitely a developed storyline that is going on, but your soldiers are... Characters that you're customizing and naming and sending into battle, you know, they're not, they don't have a tremendous amount of banter or, or storylines that are bouncing off of each other, mm-hmm. other than, you know, the story of the fight itself. And so that's really cool. I, I want to get to know, uh, like, ducks a lot yeah. more, <laughs> for example. But, yeah, it was cool. Uh, Huber, how do you... How do you feel about strategy games, man? I love strategy games. Um, yeah. I've fallen out with them, though, over the years, man. Just... What happened? I don't know. Like, I my PC was not, like, you know. Dusted. PC gaming. Yeah, yeah exactly. Ups and downs with PC gaming. You're mm-hmm. you're either in or you're out, I feel like. Or, or for me personally, you know, I'm either, I either got a, a good rig and I'm ready to play some PC games. Right. Or I'm outdated. And, you know, I'm, I've been outdated for the last couple of years now where mm-hmm. I just can't really run these games the way I want to, you know, without putting them on low or medium and, and it's right. compromised so yeah um xcom 2 and xcom 1 really really wanted to get into these i remember capturing some xcom 1 for you when you did that review and i was just like oh my god this game is phenomenal yeah so yeah X- with xcom 2 i really enjoyed doing the xcom 2 review for gt and the war of the chosen came out and war of the chosen from what I played of it, I was like, this is so impressive, mm-hmm. but I got distracted by other mm-hmm. things and had to move away from it. The one thing that I want from you, Michael Huber, and this is not mm-hmm. to pressure you, is yeah. because you have expressed intense interest mm-hmm. in it. I think the thing with you and Fire Emblem has always been you know, that handheld limitation. Yes. And uh, I was talking about Fire Emblem, and people were like, you know, I'm way into the Switch version because we're away from handheld, so people agree with your sentiment. Some people agree with your sentiment. Okay. They're excited about (laughs) Fire Emblem Three Houses because it's going to be on Switch. Nice. So if we can just get you to check that out. (laughs) Absolutely. That'd be great. Switch hype. Just because I think you've shown interest Mm -hmm. in Awakening and Fates and stuff like that, and the only reason was because you just don't enjoy that type of thing on handheld. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, let's do a non-E3 thing. Well, kind of an E3 thing, I guess. I want to know about Unravel 2. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was Shadow Drop during E3. Shadow Drop during E3. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I've been... Uh, while I was attempting to take a break and and, and, and just like... Uh, not, not get out in, into work right away after E3. Uh, yeah, downloaded Unravel 2. and Because uh, they, they, they also just... Like sent us a code when they did, did that shadow drop. Here it is. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, and I've uh, I've been playing that uh, with my wife, and that's been uh, fun to do. That's awesome. Um, I think uh, somebody on Twitter asked, "Is like, is it like sniffer clips where you need to coordinate a lot?" And I'm like, I didn't think about that comparison, mm-hmm. but I, I really I I think it is that way because there are times where you kind of like, you know, one person has to do this and the other person has to like follow up with another action. And so, like, you do have to constantly communicate about, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'll, like, you know, you then, like, go under me and then swing over to the next platform. And, like, there's a lot of, like, physics going on with that string. Uh, And it's pretty cool. Like, there's times when you do need to, like, wrap it around something. uh, And so that way, so, like, 
yeah, like you just get like one person up there and then you can wrap it around and then like another person can follow up. Uh, and a lot of stuff like that where like you're, you're, you're knocking things over a certain way. Um, there's a, uh, basically one of the mechanics you can do is like you hold the left trigger. And so that just kind of like basically like ties the rope in place so that like the other person can't walk farther away. Um, but they can like repel up to where you are. Mm. So it's like if you manage to get one person up to a place, uh, then you can hold the rope and let the other person climb. So it's kind of like mountain climbing together. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, can you fuse together? How does that work? Uh, that's pretty simple. Okay. Like they just call it riding on and, the other person. And then you who, just push the triangle button and like pop on. And like, Okay. And whoever, then that person is in control. Let's ride. The one. Who, yeah. Whoever pushes the triangle button, then like. They give up control. They give too. up control Got to it. the other person. Yeah. Got it. And that is kind of uh, needed for like. It just, well, it kind of depends on like who you're playing with, but like mm -hmm. some of the like trickier like platforming sections, where you're just yeah. like running and jumping and 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 swinging like through quick stuff, it makes more sense uh, to just have one person. Mm -hmm. um, for us, like we've done it more, particularly when there's like I don't know if you would call them enemies. I, they're the closest thing to enemies, but they're like these we call them smoke monsters. They're like these sparks that kind of like seek you out, and if they touch you, you just burn up. Mm. And so they're, they're really tricky to try to like figure out how to get by. Um, but we did one last night where we had, to, we couldn't combine, like we had to coordinate, like one of us had to like lure it over to this direction and then like hide in these mushrooms. And then while it was down there, the other one would like run up to another platform and it would distract it for the other person to get back over here. And then I would swing across and then she could repel up to where I was. So a lot of coordinated stuff like that. The the worst thing that we did though, we probably should have combined, but for some reason, we were like, no, we're gonna both do this, uh, and we were like rolling on a log uh, through a fire, and a part of the log was on fire. So it's like you had to like walk to make the log roll, and then like jump over the mm. flame section, but not over jump into the flames below and must have spent like 20 or 30 minutes just like trying to get across this dumb log section because the physics would be a little weird sometimes like sometimes you would jump and it would stop rolling and like how do i get to the roll again and it's like yeah so how, yeah how is the story so the story honestly is kind of weird <laughs> like i'm not sure i understand what's happening entirely I kind of had a similar sensation going through Unravel 1. Yeah. My memories of that are very foggy, but I... You're going through these together. platforming yeah. levels, and while you're doing it, they're like these ghost kids in the background. They're like sort of transparent and smoky looking, and like you see them do a thing here, see them do that. See, I think they might have started the fire on accident or something, like all these logs came down. But it's strange because like... It's like people are the only things that are like ghosted out like this. Like deers or horses or whatever run through and like they look normal. Um, and, and like the grouse that chases you. Uh, there's a part where, there's a pretty cool part where like you're hopping across this lake and there's fish. And like you're like jumping across the backs of this these fish and like then trying to keep them from not eating you. Like, kind of like in Super really Mario fun. 3, you know? <laughs> but the fish look like real like fish. Um, but yeah, and, and so that's kind of cool too, is just like the backgrounds and everything. They just look, they're like trying to make it so realistic looking. Mm -hmm. 
uh, whereas uh, Yarny itself like doesn't quite look like real yarn. It looks a little bit more of a cartoon, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Huber, mm-hmm. for a long time, I think the, the drum has been beat a little bit less, but I think you still stand behind the joys of couch co-op. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's much. that's something that you really have hated to see kind of decline mm-hmm. uh, in recent years. And Unravel Two is only couch co-op. You cannot play it online with other people. Yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a good decision for this game? I do. Why? I respect it. Um, I think of a way out, mm-hmm. and that had online co-op, mm-hmm. but it was highly encouraged. Like. Highly, highly, highly encouraged. To Joseph do, Ferris yeah. stopped me in a hallway and grabbed me and is like, "You have to play this on the couch." Yes. <laughs> yeah. They there was a before the review, they sent like a video to watch, like a primer and a Tim talking, like, "Please play this couch co-op." Um, I think that to me, it's it's really it's not so much about couch or not. Mm-hmm. It's playing with somebody you know. It's not like yeah. jumping online with a stranger. Yeah, that's really the issue. And so, like, I can see how people be disappointed if they like they want to play with their friends. They want to play with somebody that they know yeah. in England. You know. Yeah, I get it. I, I think it's, I see both sides of it. Um, if they truly believe that the best way to play the game is couch sitting next to someone, mm-hmm. then that's their decision, and I'm 100 stand by that. But for people that have family or friends that live out of state, out of country, I can see that being frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like the budget, the budgetary things. Yeah, like, I you think know, we're both of them. Like the game it. is offline versus it being online. It's uh, a lot of, a lot of more there. So I, I totally see both sides. And, you know, I I definitely give a lot of respect to to them for sticking to their guns and having it be couch co-op only. So you've played a lot of co-op games with Brad, both in person and online. <laughs> yeah. Do you notice a difference between how you guys interact with each other in person versus over the internet? Uh, yeah, his arm usually hurts by the end of uh, any time we play. <laughs> we play on the couch. A Way Out together was like one of my favorite mm-hmm. couch co-op experiences ever. And I think that would have been lost online. Um, there's just something about being in the same room together, you know, it's just more immediate. It's just more, mm. you know, you're sharing it more. I don't know. You can play all of Unravel 2 by yourself. Yeah. Uh, do you think you'd be getting a, a significantly worse experience? Um, I think, yeah, like, as you can set up certain things, you know, like switching between the two, like it works. Um, but yeah, I do think there's a lot in there just again that communication it's like okay i do this and then you do that and just kind of that like back and forth it it feels good it feels good to like even if you're the one calling out every action to like to have that participation with somebody else right um i will say though that like there's these optional challenge rooms okay and so far there's not been a one of those that i would recommend playing co-op just like they are just too intense huh they're just you know they're they're hard to get through as a single person jeez and so like trying to do that in co-op it just feels like needlessly torturing yourself what do you get for going through the challenge rooms uh you basically get uh other other yarnies other 
uh, skins, no, uh, heads and, worth and bodies and stuff yeah, like that. Worth yeah. it. Different colors. Yeah, that, that always gets me. you can pick me. any color from the start, but uh-huh. uh, the, yeah, different head designs and stuff. Cool. I like that a lot. Uh, are you finished with Unravel 2? No, I think we still have like one more level. Okay. How, how long have you been playing, roughly? Uh, I want to say each level is around like... 30 to 45 minutes, and so there's like seven levels. So it's okay. like, yeah. Pr- fairly short. Yeah, okay. four and a half, five hours probably. True. Not counting the challenge levels. And the, the trophies, which nobody are getting, I looked at the trophy list, because like the the more difficult trophies are like, get through this level without dying, and then get through this level without dying within this time limit. And it's like, okay, Jeez. that's hardcore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Huber. Mm-hmm. There's something that uh, we've talked about that's helping you de-stress at the beginning of the show, mm-hmm. and it's undergoing a lot of changes right now that yeah. seem to have your mind racing. Yeah. And that is Fortnite. I know. I'm sorry we keep bringing up Fortnite. It's the only thing I've had time for. That's the beauty of Fortnite, is like you can hop in and play a match or two or three or ten. You know, it, It's so accessible. Yeah, and um, also, I also think there gets to be a point with a lot of games where the familiarity of it mm-hmm. is, you know, it's like you could try out something new when you mm-hmm. have a split second, or you could jump into Fortnite, which you already know and feel mm-hmm. comfortable with and know you're going to enjoy. Yeah. There's a lot of power. And just playing with friends yeah. has, has been so great. Are you, you know? playing with the same friends over and yeah. over again, or are you playing with a lot of different ones? I play with uh, two, three of my friends, mostly, you know, I usually do duos or threes or yeah. fours with those three are friends. Are these people you get to talk with a lot outside of Fortnite, or is Fortnite kind of like your special place? I talk to two of them a lot, okay. like daily or okay. every other day. Mm. Um, you know, then I get to play, I play with Hedgy once in a while. Nice. nice. Uh, you know, it's hard, though, because he lives in Japan, so it's hard yeah. with the times, the time zone. I will always cherish that <laughs> Destiny 2 raid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's going down Forsaken, dude. I've been talking to him about it. Nice. Um, yeah, just briefly, because I've talked about Fortnite to death, um, I just respect how much this game continues to change. Uh, they've added shopping carts, which are some of the most crazy, fun shenanigans I've had. Just barreling down a hill with a friend in the shopping cart, shooting, and then, like, building up ramps. It's just out of control. Uh, right now the World Cup is going on, and just how much life is in this game, I cannot stress enough how how alive it feels you know the the world cup's going on so they added a giant soccer stadium in the top left of the map huge soccer stadium they added world cup like skins for all the countries wow you can get like a sock like your country for soccer player Mm -hmm. uh and then there was a weekly challenge where you had to go around and score goals in all of these uh (laughs) soccer stadiums it's just so awesome you know, it just has that MMO life to it. Yeah. Uh, which is which keeps bringing me back. And the big thing going on right now, uh, a couple of the big changes that have everyone freaking out. Um, so they nerfed shotguns, finally, because, you know, I'm a shotgun enthusiast. <laughs> but even I'm going to tell you they were, they were OP. Uh-huh. Uh, they put a cap on how many rockets you can carry now. Only 12. It used to be unlimited. Now it's only 12. So those two changes and one more forthcoming. Building. They're going to nerf building somehow by like limiting how many resources you can hold. Oh, okay. 
And yeah, because there was that when we were doing the Thanos stuff. There was that match where the guy was like way over your head. Yeah, yeah, just unlimited building, you know. And there, there's that balance of ammo versus building resources. So if somebody keeps building and you keep shooting, he can just keep building. But you keep shooting. It's like who's gonna run out of run out of bullets or run out of resources first? You know, because like ammo's pretty scarce in the game. So. The final showdown of Fortnite comes down to the meme. Just build, LOL. Mm -hmm. You know? It's build up, have my shotgun, that's it. That's the final showdown, you know? And then there's the the rockets of the just nonstop rockets hitting the fort. So I applaud them for taking risks, nerfing things, putting things in. Taking things out. They just added a stink bomb that's mm-hmm. like an AoE, uh, AoE damage and obscures your vision. Mm. I I love this. They added a thermal thermal scope gun, like the far sight. You can like see people through walls and stuff. You know what would be oh, funny? Oh, yeah, man. but it's not OP because it's like pretty short fire. You know what would be funny though with, really the, with the stink bug, uh, stink bomb kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like if a character like had to hold their nose. <laughs> So they couldn't look down the sights. Cool. They just had to like hip fire. I yeah. would love it. I honestly wouldn't put him past him to do this. Like, I just keep talking about it, and I keep want- wanting to bring a Fortnite because the possibilities seem endless. Like they can take this game in so many directions. Like Halloween is coming up. They had Thanos. Like, let's have a headless horseman mode or something where mm-hmm. like one player is the headless horseman and goes around terrorizing. Or like, right. let's add a raid boss in Wailing Woods where people team up and take him down. Like, I feel like now that you've had Thanos, anything is really truly possible. Yeah. yeah. Like Halloween comes around, Jason could be chasing you around Fortnite. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so just the build, the building changes are very controversial because it is absolutely without a doubt the most skill based part of the game. Mm-hmm. He or she who builds better will usually win. Mm-hmm. So if you're a master builder, you're at a big advantage. Um, and they came out. They said building is still a part of this game, but we want to shake it up. Yeah. Because every final encounter really does play out the same, whether you're in singles, duos, teams. It's huge fort, either rocket battles or huge fort. I've got my shotgun. Come up, come up, or and you're dead, you know? Right. So... I just appreciate how much they're willing to take risks by changing up the game. Absolutely. Uh, just from my kind of outside perspective, it seems like Fortnite is moving along at like a blisteringly fast pace. Yeah, it's out of control. Uh, <laughs> maybe it doesn't seem that way for people who are playing every day, but no. from my perspective, that's that's how it seems. For I sure, I think that's ben. good. I think yes. they're, they're really trying to aggressively uh, focus on how to make their game better. Mm-hmm. I think the question that I have, and I, you've seen it with a bunch of games, is... When you're changing that fast, sometimes you can make it worse. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe there's a, a segment of players that really like the current state of the game and they mm-hmm. don't want it to change. It's very scary. Um, is Are you seeing any sort of that sentiment? Or have oh, you yeah. experienced that at all yourself? No, I've just seen, I've seen both sides of it where, mm-hmm. you know, some popular streamers and YouTubers are saying, this is the game, though. That, right. Like, building... This isn't what I fell in love with. Yeah, yeah. like, building, building on top of people is the game it's like mm. yo i'm i'm better at this game than you because i'm gonna build up and just sh- get you like it's yeah. cr- it's crazy i was playing the other day and i built up a, a tower i was just like slowly building my tower this, this is a true story i'm building my tower up out of nowhere there was a tower above me 
-hmm. and the guy jumped down in me. I was like, I was building my thing. All of a sudden, he sprouts this tower and just rains death on me. So you got to appreciate and respect the the skill involved with building. And if they tweak that at all, like that is, it's a very scary thing because that could take away the identity of the game and take away, you know, what makes Fortnite so fun. Mm -hmm. So it's intense. Also, right now, uh, you know, they had uh, they had the meteors last season, and that you know all the speculation that crashed into Dusty Depot and made Dusty Divot kind of messed up the map a little bit. Now it's heroes and supervillains is the theme of this season, mm-hmm. and there is a missile countdown. Something's going down. Nobody knows. Everyone's on pins and needles trying to <laughs> figure out what in the world they're going to do. The theories range from we are going to get in a rocket and fly to a new map on the moon. That would be insanely <laughs> awesome. To players are going to be the ones launching the missile, like Fallout 76 style. Right. To the missiles will disrupt other parts of the map because uh-huh. there's still only one map in Fortnite, but it is such a living thing it's, you know, you asked me a couple months ago, like, wow, only one map? I can't see this game surviving. They need to add more maps. Right. To now, if they just change up the map every which season, they, yeah. which they've been doing a good job at, mm-hmm. uh, that that's something that could continue forward. Because the game mm-hmm. is still in early access somehow. Right. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, <laughs> so about the shotgun nerf, because you're right, uh, so many encounters, especially mm-hmm. at the end, come down to... Getting off those shotgun blasts. Yeah. Have they nerfed it in such a way where it's just, it's still useful, but the uses are more specific? Or are people using other things in place of how they were using the shotgun before? So shotgun is still really strong. They just nerfed the damage a little. Like, I think it was OP, and now it's where it should be. It's still, but it's still powerful. It's still, yeah. Like, if you get a headshot on someone with a shotgun and they have a a 200 health, like, they're gone. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I still I, I think it's at a at a better place than it was because it was yeah. it was just double pump, double pump. You know, you you would hold two pumps in your inventory, shotgun switch, shotgun. You know, people just kept doing that, switching back and forth between uh. shotguns, out of control. So they're listening, they're watching, and they're changing and adapting, and I love it. Yeah. You know, coming off of uh, Blizzard games, t- they take too long. Right, Blizzard is is so afraid to make changes. And, uh, you know, like you said, Fortnite's moving at a blistering pace. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just appreciate it so much. You were talking about the identity of the game. Mm-hmm. And is there any change that you could think of that would turn you off or, or make you less interested in playing? Ooh. Um, I don't know, because I'm in both camps, you know. I play a lot, but I'm really casual at the same time. So <laughs> I'm not, like, my skill level is not at that top tier where, like, they're nerfing building i'm out you know because like i'm a terrible builder <laughs> so but at the same time i sympathize with those people because i see that that is where the skill comes from in fortnite um i really i i can't really imagine anything that would that would turn me off it's just going to be a matter of you know october battlefield 5 right <laughs> so <laughs> that's really the only thing that uh i see on the horizon that's going to take me away because fortnite right now is uh the perfect game to kind of keep tabs on and dive in every once in a while, every couple of days, play a bunch of bunch of rounds. Yeah, so that's it, interesting because I, I think about kind of us and and how we handle things like Battlefield and Call of Duty mm-hmm. is you know they come out and we're really excited 
and we play them for a while and maybe we come back, mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily come back very quickly. It might yeah. be three months, six months, a year before we come back after that kind of initial launch excitement. Whereas it sounds like Fortnite is changing so much. Mm -hmm. I can imagine you having a really good week of Battlefield yeah. and then going back to Fortnite and then, because yeah. of how it works. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, who knows how long you're going to be waiting for updates to bigger games yeah. uh, that are, a, a, I guess, more traditional mm -hmm. style of, of, yeah. of updates. Because, so. like, Epic's a huge company, mm -hmm. but, you know, no offense to PUBG, like, Blue Hole or, you know, PUBG Corporation is not EA Dice uh -huh. or, you know, Call of Duty Activision. Like, these yeah. are the, the highest of budget games coming in. So we're going to see how that affects Fortnite, if at all. Right. You know, we know both games are doing Battle Royale. Right. So that is, I just can't wait to see... You know, I wasn't I, even thinking about their version of Battle mm -hmm. Royale because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's just crazy. It's a crazy time. Yeah. I, I assume Fortnite will re like officially release right around that time to get some more press, or you know, so because again, it's still in early access, which is crazy, crazy to me. So yeah, I mean, it's it's like with a lot of competitive things, right? Where imagine you have a casual interest in the Battle Royale modes for Call of Duty and. Uh, Battlefield 5, <laughs> but you've put so much time and potentially money into Fortnite. Mm -hmm. And so if both are offering something new, mm -hmm. are you not more inclined to side with the thing that you're already invested in? Yeah. I don't know. I think I think the newcomer has a bigger challenge, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because Call of Duty is expensive. Right. That's right. a very expensive video game, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? And Fortnite, you don't need to spend a cent mm -hmm. if you don't want to. You can hop in for free and just play. So that is a huge advantage mm -hmm. uh, for Fortnite. Blood, how do you think the Battle Royale of Call of Duty and Battlefield Five is going to shake out? Do you think it's going to be a flash in the pan? Do you think it's going to take off and something they're going to do repeatedly? Or, um, I mean, I, I feel in a way that like this is a first step to something that's going to be... like They're going to have to spin these off into their own games. Like, like it doesn't make sense for Call of Duty to like just have a Royale mode every year. Like what you're saying, like Fortnite constantly changing. Yeah, I think people like, people have said that about zombies though. Yeah, for a while. You know, it's it's true, and and especially now that they're getting rid of the campaign, it's like you need that something there. I just mm -hmm. feel like, again, like with PUBG and and Fortnite, they constantly are updating, constantly changing. It just feels like something that makes more sense to to have on its own thing to to come to in different terms, um, but yeah, they're both coming at in different ways. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, we like really need to see it, but like the gameplay styles of both of those are so different mm -hmm. uh, than either a PUBG or yeah. a Fortnite first person versus third. Yeah, and and so like Call of Duty, it, I think. One of the challenges is just going to be making a, a big map mm -hmm. that works, yeah. like for that kind of gameplay. Uh, with uh, Battlefield, I actually think it's it's the opposite. It's like how do you handle that constricting circle? Like Battlefield, like I don't want to get that crammed in, you know, towards the end. Like it, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how they both approach it. I can't wait. And then the vehicles in Battlefield and how different that's going to make everything. Yeah. A big thing too, like not to undersell skins, mm -hmm. you know, 
I love seeing my skin in battle, battle or uh, Fortnite. You earn skins and you can see it when you play. Like right. it is a big deal. These skins, people are obsessed. It is. It is absolutely. This game is making billions on skins. Yeah. You, you see it with how people react to them out in the world when yeah. they're playing Fortnite. When it's like, oh, that person has that skin. Yeah. This is the kind of player that they are. And. Uh, my favorite thing is meaningful rewards. There's a skin right now called the Blockbuster Ben that looks yeah. like a Boba Fett superhero type thing. Okay. <laughs> you have to finish fully seven out of ten weeks of challenge. Wow. Challenges. So you have to fully finish seven weeks. Dedication. Uh, I'm so close. But you have to finish all seven seven weeks and then you unlock that skin. And I think that's so cool. That's such a good reward because it shows your commitment. Yeah. And, you know, with Battlefield and Call of Duty, it's like, they already said if you pre-order, you get four exclusive Battle uh, battle Royale skins in Call of Duty. They already confirmed that, mm. which is going to be like price yeah. and stuff. But it's like, I can't even see it. You know, I can't even see my skin. It's right. like, there, there's something lost there. At best there. you get the, 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 like, victory splash screen or yeah. like, yeah. So that's big. There, I hope there's taunts that maybe pan out. Like, right. let's have that third person view. For once in Call of Duty, I think they'd be smart to do that because the emotes, the dances, the spray paints. Like, I go around in every Fortnite game, I'm just, I spray paint everything. It's so yeah. fun. Those little things. I think this are is exactly big. what I'm talking about, though. Just even this seven week challenge, mm-hmm. right? Like, imagine you getting invested in something like that or having a bunch of new stuff come, and it's like, well, do I want to continue this or hop on a brand new thing where I don't mm. understand, you know, right. how much this is worth or, or yeah. what this means and I'm not invested. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an yeah. extremely I mean, powerful really, tool for Fortnite. Seven weeks is huge. Yeah. Like, I feel like if you're in on a seven-week challenge, like, when you're done with that, like, you're either in for the long haul or you're right. done yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Their seasons are great, you know. It's just each season now is fresh life, fresh things to do. Crushing it, crushing it in Fortnite. I remember for a long time feeling like, oh man, I've gotten so many of these card backs and Hearthstones. Like I, I've put in so much time to mm-hmm. try to get all of these. I need to get all of them. It feels like Fortnite has that sensation amplified by a hundred. Yeah, you know, and it's happening all the time at a much higher intensity. Like there, there are so many of these updates that you're talking about. So many of them feel like can't miss it events. Yeah. Uh, like this rocket really, thing going on right now, this right. is an event. It feel it just has that feeling, yeah. you know? Right, because I feel special. like when you come here and you talk about the way Fortnite is changing itself, you're not like, oh, you know, they're, they're fiddling around with this and it's it's a little bit different. You're like, mm-hmm. no, they're, they've completely upended the game. Yeah. Uh, or, or at least changed it in a super dramatic way. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. It's just so fun solo mm-hmm. or with friends, you know? If you have friends to play Fortnite with and you haven't, do it. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to talk about a game that <laughs> I am so excited to talk about, and that is Hollow Knight. Yes. Nice. God, I want to Which play is hilarious is because you got us all tuned into this mm. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> you didn't finish it before we did. Right, exactly. So what happened is uh, when it came out on PC, I was like, I want to check this out. Um, and I did not finish it. I did the early sections of Hollow Knight and was like, this seems really good. I'm going to write a script saying like, hey, you know, didn't finish this, but I feel strongly about it. And now that I've, I'm at the end. Essentially, uh, I can, I can. I mean, the did you do the the true ending for Hollow Knight? I believe so, but I did you go I, through something called the White Palace? Yes, yes. Okay, yes. I'm at the White Palace yeah, right now. Yeah, that place is hard. Yeah, it is hard. A lot of saws. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I've seen, I've seen 
the majority of Hollow Knight now, and uh, my feelings on it are even more amplified. Like, the stuff that I was saying about the combat and kind of the atmosphere of the world in the Don't Skip, I still stand behind all of that, but what I really want to convey, and you don't fully get this sense until you play the most of the game, is how much is there for $15. It is insane. Like... So much of this game, of the of areas that you can go in, especially of bosses that you can fight, and of items that you can collect, so much of it is completely missable. Yeah. You do not need any of that stuff to get through the game. Um, and it's some of the best stuff. Uh, like, how they have you get this true ending, you have to go on an entirely different quest, essentially, where you're fighting alternate versions of bosses that you've fought before that are much harder. Uh, and it's just... It really gives you this sense of always having something to strive for and you always really have to fight for that thing. And so, uh, like in other games, you have to collect pieces of something in order to increase your health. In the case of Hollow Knight, uh, your health is represented by mass and so you gotta get four mass shards uh, in order to get an extra tick of health. And one of the mass shards, you have to do this quest for this woman who is just... She wants to. Uh, she wants you to deliver this flower to the to this grave oh, of somebody yes. she really cares about, and in order to do that, it is a delicate flower. And so, if you use um, these things called stag beetles, which are a form of fast travel, or if you get hit at all, oh. and let me tell you, very easy to get hit at Hollow Knight. <laughs> not not some uh, exceptional thing. If you get hit at all, and you're going basically from one side of the map to the other. If you get hit at all, uh, the flower breaks, and you have to go to, well, you know, wilts, essentially. It's Hard destroyed. Core. You yeah, have to go back. Um, and, and and part of that is just figuring a route. Like, what is the route where yeah. I'm going to encounter, like, the least amount of resistance exactly. in order to do this? And But even that might have its own risks, you know, to, uh, you know, like, okay, I'm going to have fewer enemies here, but I'm also going to, like, come across some of these traps or, or whatever and like just yeah figuring that out is crazy and it really changes the way that you navigate because once you get to this point in the game where you can do this quest uh you kind of learn how to handle hollow knight's healing mechanic which is as you hit enemies you'll build up this soul juice essentially and you can focus that soul juice to heal up. Mm. And so you kind of get into this rhythm where you're like, okay, I know I'm going to take some damage, but I'll figure out spots where I can heal and you just kind of get in tune with the rhythm of the game. This quest remove like completely messes with that rhythm and so it's like no i need to play much more slowly i really i can't just focus on where am i right now but as bulber said i need to focus on where am i going and uh there was one point right at the end of this route where i'm like oh wait these two places are connected but i didn't open the shortcut and so it was this panic of like oh actually i have to go this all the way around to get to where i'm supposed to be uh and it was just so thrilling to finally accomplish that and get that shard and, yeah, put put that uh, grieving character at peace. That's and that's hype. Yeah. And that's another thing is the characters are wonderful. Yeah. The characters are absolutely wonderful. And some of them... Is there a voice acting or no? Um, no. Not really. They make, like, they, they make, they make noises. Cool. Yeah. They're like whimpers and yeah. swing. And, uh, yeah. Um, but these characters come in all different shapes and sizes, quite literally. But also what I mean by that is some of them, you know, you will you'll talk to them and then they'll be like, oh, you're here? There was a really great moment 
during a fight where a character that I'd seen earlier shows up and helped me during the fight, and it was just this really exciting moment, um, and it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, he doesn't go into the fight with mm-hmm. you, uh, and that was really fun. Yeah, and, the grumpy old swordsman. Right. right, right. <laughs> Come across pretty regularly, and he's like, I could have done that with my pinky finger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, there's there's so many great moments that are so good, like, I could talk about one of them, and it'd be like, well, you still have a bunch to experience, but all of them are so good. Like, the, the blacksmith. So this guy that you have to find who will upgrade your weapon, and the way that when you get the final upgrade, uh, what he asks you to do is pretty incredible and really dramatic. And it's like, this is just somebody that could have just been there to upgrade my sword, but I ended up feeling a connection with them, and there was this little bit of a story that happened. Uh, that was so cool. And the music, the music is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the one that always comes back to me is the kind of the, the main town, your sort of starting town, Dirtmouth, is, has this really melancholic piano that just kind of like burns into your brain and it, it becomes comforting. Like it's, it's sad, but because you kind of will go off and do this crazy thing and you'll come back to this town, it becomes relaxing and really nice. Uh, and just the way areas connect with each other, uh, you'll be going through and you might be going through like this abysmal place where it's like, oh man, I feel like I'm just barely getting by and then you'll break a wall and it's like, oh wait, this connects to that. (laughs) And you just get, you just get lost in it, man. One of the the things I think is really cool is, uh, you go into this, it's kind of like a lost city or whatever. It's, they, they, they've kind of walled themselves off from the rest of the corruption and stuff that's happened in the world. And it's like these... He's like Mantis tribe, right? And you get down there and you like have to like prove your worth mm-hmm. to their mm-hmm. rulers mm-hmm. and like defeat their rulers in combat. Yeah, sick. And then when you do that, I love that song. The rest of the enemies in that level, they don't attack you, they just bow. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and the boss fights as well. Um kind of what I was talking about with the rhythm. The boss fights have their own rhythm that you need to tap into and the early boss fights they definitely give you room to heal and they're like okay healing takes time and you are vulnerable during it so part of the skill that you need to employ in these boss fights is uh learning when those spots are uh and later on it's not that you can't heal during boss fights and there there's there's like this badge that this charm that you can get that can make you heal quicker but it's a lot more difficult and so you kind of reach this point or at least i reach this point where it's like okay I'm not really going to be able to reliably heal during this fight. Mm-hmm. How do I work around that? What can I do uh, in order to protect myself? And I feel like so many of the bosses ask different things. Uh, there's this optional boss that is basically, he's just, he curls up into a ball and he launches at you and you just kind of need to bounce it. Like you need to, <laughs> he'll, he'll, you'll hit him and then he'll come back very quickly. And it's not a hard fight, but it's just con- entirely about timing your swings um, and making sure that you can keep kind of juggling him. And it's just fun. It's just different. It's it's a little creative. And, yeah, I can't... You're playing on Switch now, right? I'm playing on Switch, yeah. yeah. And so, it all, like, feels good? It, it, there's no weird... Yeah, it feels wonderful. Um, yes. I'm primarily playing on a television with a pro controller, uh, but I started playing in handheld mode, and having that gorgeous art shrunk down to that, mm. that Switch screen looks really good. And I'm surprised how adept the little analog nub is uh and how good it feels i didn't have any issues at all with the controls on either the pro controller or in handheld mode nice and it feels great um you touched on the badges and i think it really 
it makes a huge charms, difference. Yeah. They're charms, that's what they're called. I call them badges too sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like you swap these things in and out, and there's so many of them, and there's just such a variety. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really change up like how you're going to approach things and different abilities. Um, which ones do you have on it? Because like I, you know, it's been a couple months for me, so they're a little fuzzy. Yeah, I change I change them all the time, and that's yeah. actually one of the very satisfying things about Hollow Knight is there have been several fights where it's like, okay, I'm going to try this combination of charms, see if it works. Okay, that didn't work. I'm going to try something else, and then have it succeed. Uh, but what I use a lot, um, there's I forget, I think it's like the mark of strength or something i don't remember exactly what it's called but it uh makes it so your attack has a longer range yeah i use that all the time um there's quick slash which allows you to attack faster it's very useful um i just got one not all that long ago that has been useful in a couple of boss fights where it'll make it so you can't heal but you'll get 50 percent more health Mm. and so that's great during the boss fights like i said where it's like well i can't reliably heal anyway so i might as well just go into the battle and have more mass uh, that's that's Joni's blessing, I believe. Uh, what else do I use? There's one. There's the thorns of agony. Oh, where when, when you, you get, get hit, hit, it spikes you, out. Yeah. yeah, you'll kind of do this blast, um, and so it's like, well, I suck. I know I'm going to get hit a lot. I might as well do extra damage with this badge. Um, and something we didn't explain with the I keep saying badge again. The charm system is that every charm takes up a certain amount of notches. And notches are something that you either have to spend money on to get or you have to find by doing different things. Um, And so it's like you'll get all these charms and it's like, wait, I can't use them. Mm -hmm. I need to go out in the world and and get more notches. Yeah, or there's like this risk reward, like one charm will use like four notches and another one will use two. And so like trying to like balance out like, okay, what it's really like the best combination of the things that I want. Because there are certain things for me that I've, I've like, I just got to have this all the time. Right. Like, this is just my play style is to have these charms. Mm-hmm. And then you get something new. It's like, oh, that's really good. But what, do I, what do I give up? What do I give up to use that? Yeah. There are a couple of charms. One in particular that I feel like most of the time you're just going to want on. Um, and one of those is uh, this this compass charm, where basically you have this map. Uh, well, you actually don't have a map at first. You have to buy a map at an area uh, in order to have it. Because like when you enter a new area for the first time, you'll try to open your map and be like, you don't have a map for this area. And so you have to find a guy. Mm. Then once you find him, you'll buy a map. Everything's yeah. fine. And then you fill out the rest of the map that he didn't get to. Yeah. Right. Um, but you can't see your point on that map unless you have a charm equipped. Oh. And maybe it's just me, and maybe I just suck at direction, but there have been a couple of times where I've tried to play the game without that charm to give myself an extra notch, and it's just like, nope. And (laughs) (laughs) so it's like, I I feel like I'm not really making a choice. It's just like, this is so essential that I need it all the time. And yeah, I don't know. That's that's a little bit frustrating. There's another one um, that makes it so when you when you kill enemies, you get the currency. It's called Geo that drops, uh, and there's a charm that you can equip that will bring that money to you automatically, uh, and that is extremely useful because a lot of these enemies are jumping, they're flying, they're mo- moving all over the place, and depending on how you kill them, the money will just kind of fly out, and there are a lot of pits. Yeah, it just scatters everywhere. And so if you don't have that charm you're potentially losing out on a lot of money or at the very least putting yourself at risk trying to go and get it wherever <laughs> it flew to. So that's another one that you need um, quite a bit. But yeah, anyway, I could talk all day about Hollow Knight. I am, I am in love with it. 
like it, it was something that I knew I enjoyed at PC uh, when I was playing on the PC. I totally intended to finish it last year. I didn't. Um, and just on Switch, you know, and I've done the beginning of the game a few times now, uh, but I just got completely obsessed in a way that, like, you only do for the very best video games. Oh, yeah. Um, and I just, for $15, you have to play. Yeah, it's I, so love you, good. I love hearing you guys talk about it. Yeah. It's um, amazing. Huber, maybe to push you over the edge a little bit more there is a a combat arena love combat arena. yeah <laughs> my favorite but i mean Anytime it's there's a combat arena it's not just like this challenge mode that you select from the main yeah. menu it's incorporated in the world Contextualized. right you go in uh and there's this there's this guy that you meet and he's like hey man i'll meet you at the arena and you you probably won't get access to the arena until pretty far into the game but and when you're coming up to it one of the best parts is there's like bodies falling yes from above and like what is happening right now <laughs> they're awesome. falling out of the arena into the rest of the world That's and you great. go into the arena and you there's three different levels that you can do uh and you pay to do it and then you go in and you have like it's like a coliseum and you have people in the background cheering uh, and you have somebody sitting on a giant throne it's just really cool That's right. fun. Hell yeah. but yeah hollow knight it's incredible um, let's get through some more E3 stuff. E3. Blood, we've got, we've got quite a few games to talk about here. Maybe we'll just do them back to back to back. We've got Children of Morta, Knights and Bikes, and is it Ooblets? Oblets? Ooblets. Ooblets, yeah. okay. Let's talk about those, and the Spectrum Retreat. Yeah. Um, so, so Children of Morta was, was a funny one for me, because, uh, I, you, if you watched all of our coverage, you, you might have heard me talk about, I did, uh one of my uh, appointments on the steps of the Staples Center because the new security restrictions uh, did not allow the developer to bring his backpack and his laptop into the convention. Jeez. Uh, so he was trying to figure out, like, well, uh, you know, we were originally going to do it in the lobby of this hotel, but later in the day, like, filled up with people. It was just crazy crowded. Uh, and so it was like, you know, and it was his first E3, first time he'd come out for E3. So he didn't, like, like know where to go. It's like let's just go over here to the steps. We'll be fine. We'll be good. Um, and but it was so funny because like that whole like experience of doing the demo overtook any like memory of like what the game was about. <laughs> but what was cool is they actually followed up and they sent me the E3 build. Nice. Uh, and so I was able to play a little bit of it uh, yesterday and kind of go back into it. But uh, so Children of Morta is uh, it's it's essentially like a Diablo Gauntlet style game. And uh, you got my ears twitching. <laughs> <laughs> and what's uh, probably the, the biggest thing that make, makes it a little bit different is that uh, you're actually the characters that you control are all part of a family. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Bergsons. And so like when you when you level up like strength or something like you level up that aspect for like everybody in the family. Mm-hmm. And so, drama, dude. Yeah, so you eyes are twitching now. You've got like this big, like ornate house, um, where you, uh, you, you're looking at like different people are in different rooms. Like one person's over here, and like they're having this conversation, and like there's like uh, like one guy and his wife over here, and uh, and so you could kind of like you know get a sense of like who these characters are. It looks the character designs, um, uh, they're they're. It's, they're kind of cartoonish, pixelish. I'd say like Super Time Force, if you want to think about something okay. like that, like a Cappy game. Yeah. Um, the way that they look, 
and and so yeah so you can like go to these different hubs around around the house and around the surrounding yard and stuff uh to to do your upgrades to get potions and all of that and then there's like this uh there's like object in the middle where you like teleport to whatever level like whatever dungeon you're currently on and uh and it and the dungeons themselves are kind of more um they're like more procedurally generated more kind of like about like going in and like getting cash and items and try, just trying to make it as far as you can but you know like that first run you're not going to make it and so um and they have uh right now they have two characters um that are available to to run in there with there's a like a rogue with like twin knives um who's probably the easier one to 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 handle um and he has a special ability where he like just shoots knives off in in like every direction fan of knives <laughs> and then he also he has another one where you can um kind of like become like a shadow and like uh enemies won't see you uh but then uh you can like come out of the the shadow and like attack with like a stronger hit like kind of like an ambush attack and uh and then there uh you get these gems they call them they call them souls uh but you don't collect them like from every enemy like in a dark souls or hollow knight or something like that you just like on a rare occasion like you'll get one of these uh and you need those to open certain chests or that they also have these uh like obelisks that give you uh different buffs like there's one i saw that like just completely refills your health which is a big deal because there's not like a lot of health pickups or potions and, and all of that uh and then the other character i played as uh was an archer and so you actually have more range but uh by default like her arrows are a lot slower and so you've got to like really like you know keep your distance and, and use the uh analog the right analog stick to like aim and attack mm. and then you've got like an area of effect uh like thing but there's like a lot of different um like relics and stuff that i picked up that would like sort of change how some of the, like your alternate attacks work uh like i picked up one and had equipped uh that like made the range of the throwing knives smaller but made them do more damage but then i swapped it out later for another one that did like a like a cone mm. rather than a full circle of attack uh but you basically just keep going until you run out of health and then you teleport back to the house and this is where like the family thing is kind of cool because when you teleport back, uh, then there are like these sort of pseudo random cutscenes that play out. So like you get like a moment with the family uh, between between doing uh, raids into the dungeons. And so I at one point I've like found a gramophone in the dungeon in a chest, and I'm like, well, what? why 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 do i need that like that's a weird thing to have in this dungeon crawler game uh but then when i died and went back the gramophone was there like uh in the living room and like the the husband and wife were, were dancing oh to the music great. yeah cool so yeah so uh pretty pretty interesting little take yeah. on, on that style of game yeah yeah like the family dynamic it's cool. very charming yeah yeah and then uh, we move on next to Knights and Bikes. Knights and Bikes. I really like the title of this. I have yeah. no idea what Knights and Bikes is, but... Okay. Uh, road Medieval Road I'm Rash. Find the purge. That's further back here. Uh, so, yeah. So, Knights and Bikes. Uh, it's it's from... Uh, not Double Fine themselves, but Double Fine Presents. 
Uh, so kind of like they're kind of like indie publishing arm, even though they're basically indie themselves. <laughs> uh, but uh, sort of like, I'd say it's sort of like a mix between like a where a point and click adventure game is in terms of like story and stuff. And then like more of a like Secret of Mana style RPG hmm. mechanics and like exploring this world. Is there kind of a separation between these are story moments and this is? I mean, there's little cutscenes and things okay. like that. Like, but the 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 characters themselves, it's like a very like it's almost like costume quest in a way. Like you're playing from these like two kids' perspective, and like they're they live on this island, and people are really you know like you know kind of poor and 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 struggling and. You know, they they hear that there's like there's a treasure out there. There's like a hidden pirate treasure somewhere on the island, and like they're like, okay, we're gonna go out and 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 get it. And it's just like it's so hard to express just like how much fun and like happiness and everything is just expressed from just like watching this demo. Mm -hmm. You know, like these these kids are I mean, like when you like one of the kids run around and like make these like goofy noises like. <laughs> You know, stuff like that. This is worth it just to hear Blubber through yeah. those noises. <laughs> You've got, like, at one point, like, you get a, like, you, you recruit a goose into your party named Captain Honkers. Like, um... Uh, it's a good name. Yeah, like, and, and, and there's just, like, a nice, like, really, like, bright art style with, like, you know, there's kind of, like, tilted angles and scribbles and, and all of that. Um... Uh, you uh, oh they also like uh, you know like again like they they they're kids so like they pick up like worms and buttons and rocks and stuff and then they, like take them up to people and like it's like I want to buy this and like <laughs> and they're using like all of these worms and things as the currency and the adults are just kind of left with like uh okay <laughs> what sort of things are you buying um I think uh oh like the there's an uh exercise book okay that you i don't know if you buy it or you find it but like that lets you sprint and roll sure <laughs> and so again it's like all of these like kind of like rpg like normal types of upgrades and abilities but they're presented in this like different yeah. style because like you're just kids running around a neighborhood and like using your imagination that sounds great um you know like there's just one point where i think they were in a treehouse or something and they're like like this big reveal you know of the secret treasure and it's my bike <laughs> <laughs> and so like and then you know one of the characters you know can can ride ride the bike and that's like one you know like knights and bikes is running around like having the freedom to explore and all of that just because they're kids yeah. uh are there ever like disagreements between them like oh i don't want you to do this or wait no i want that more or just is there any sort of that childish selfishness or or anger or anything like that um, I didn't see like selfishness or anger necessarily come across, but they are like very distant, different personalities. Like mm. one of them is more like uh, spunky and 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 outgoing. The other one's more of like a like comic book nerd. Sure. Uh, and so like you have that that play of their personalities going back and forth. Um, there is oh, there's a point where like to heal you do a high five. Love nice. That. So like yeah, you need to heal the other person. Like psh, there you go. Do you have to deal with parents at all? Um, I know that like one of their fathers is like owns this 
like adventure golf course, you know, like like putt putt golf. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where they find out about the treasure is like because the golf course like plays it all up, and there's like these animatronic uh, characters that her dad voiced, and and so that he talks about the treasure, and then the like thing that's like kind of the catalyst of like, all right, let's go find the real treasure, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but uh, let's see. Um, oh, there was a there was a weapon where they're using like uh, essentially a frisbee, but they're not allowed to call it a frisbee because it's a licensing thing, you know. It's like a throwing disc. But, like, one character can, like, throw it, and then the other character can kick it to extend the range. Frisbee is a licensed thing? Yeah. It's I like, thought it was a it's frisbee. A real, yeah. Huh. Frisbee's the brand? It's the brand of the thing, yeah. It's kind of like Kleenex, you know? Yeah, Kleenex you learn tissue something paper. something new every day. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Huh. Frisbee. So, but... So, what do you call a frisbee? Flying disc? Basically, yeah. That's just that... That alters my perception yeah. of the world. <laughs> Hey kids, you want to play f- flying disc? Flying disc? Yeah. Ugh. But uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, I just I don't know. It, it's it's this odd thing where like, in so many ways, like, it could feel like a standard gameplay type, but it's just everything about it from the the presentation and the setting. Just like, it was just a really happy game to look at. My my interest, yeah. man. I'm in. Yeah. This sounds great. Delightful. Blood. We were going to have you do. Uh, all of your E3 games back to back, but you know what you did. Uh oh. You triggered the forbidden word, uh, and it's one that they're very angry about the mm. demons. And if you're not familiar with the segment of the show, this is where we talk about our sponsors and play a little game to mix things up a bit. Uh, in order to trigger this game, one of the panelists will either have a shirt on that the demons really like, I guess, or somebody will say a word that kind of trips their alarm. Today it's obelisk from mm, Daniel Yeah, that's a, that's a risky word. Yeah, it's a very demon-ish word. You know, the them. first time I ever encountered that word was in a Command He-Man comic book. What did you encounter it in? Command and Conquer. Hmm. I feel like I encountered it in like some sort form of D and don't know if it was like <laughs> in an Infinity Engine game or like third edition D and D, but definitely something fantasy based for Heck sure. Yeah. Uh, he Man, dude. I didn't know Bloodworth watched He Man. Oh yeah. I was never into He Man. Me either. Like I, it kind of seeped into other things that I was interested in, but mm-hmm. I never like really sat down. Well, you guys are quite a bit younger, it. like. By then, they were in the weird, like, strange He-Man spinoffs and stuff. Yeah. The first the first wave of, yeah, like, yeah, He-Man stuff, like, I had the majority of those toys. I was actually kind of stunned because, like, I, got, I went down the rabbit hole of looking online at, like, some of the toys. Mm-hmm. And then, like, started realizing, like, dang, I had a lot of these. Yeah. <laughs> As a kid, like, you're always, like, obsessed with the ones that you don't have. Exactly. And then, like, to see, like, how many I did is, like, dang. That was with me and... Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action oh, yeah. figures. I had so many of those. Uh, Thundercats, also before my time, mm-hmm. that I don't really have the the, the appreciation for. Uh, we're changing up the rules today on Cotton Frame Trap. Instead of making you whisper Hotaki, it's going to be the first person to shout the answer. And you can do this at any point in the question or when I'm reading the multiple choice. Okay. Okay? So, but you have to shout the Very answer. Very different. Yeah. yeah, we're breaking down the rules. Get away from this mic. Today we're talking about cameos in fighting games. So... I'm going to name a character, and you're going to tell me which game he appeared in. There will be three multiple choices for each. Before we get into that, though, it's time to talk about our sponsors. We have a big shout-out to Greg, the Dark Knight Kettering. Thank you, Greg. 
Next, we've got Dale Sun. And Dale Sun, if you're not familiar with him, he is uh, going to be streaming some more. He streamed in May when he had some time off, and it seemed like that went well, so he's going to be streaming some more this month. And you can find that at twitch.tv slash stuffonarock. Next, we have Beaten Down Brian. After that, we've got Jesse, Jester Vitelli. You could find him on Twitter, at Jesse Vitelli. And on Twitch, he is known as Jester. That is why that is in the middle of his name there. So if you see Jester, tell him hello. Next, we have a game. Uh, the, not one for Huber, unfortunately, but this is Crystal Hunters from Zotig. Mm. Crystal Hunters is a puzzle game inspired by classics like The Adventures of Lolo and Chip's <laughs> Challenge. Take on 45 levels of mind-bending puzzles as you go on a journey to collect the crystals scattered around the land. Play as Thomas or Amelia, guided by Grandpa Buckley, and go get those crystals. Disclaimer for Huber and Huber types, there are laser puzzles. Zotig loves laser puzzles. We're at a very special segment of the sponsors where we talk about our mega sponsors. Daniel Bloodworth. I've had mm. different allies read this every time. I've had, okay. already had Huber write, write, read it. Now I'm going to have you tell us about the wonderful Hoglaw. Hoglaw. Hoglaw, business law firm. Whether you're starting a business at level one, stuck fighting the dreaded fundraising boss, or finally cashing out with the well-earned high score, you need a good business lawyer at your side. And now that good business lawyer has a YouTube channel. One with at least one video. I think he actually has a couple more <laughs> at this point. At least one. At least one video. At least one. Uh, which Ian Hink has called really well written and Kyle Bosman has called easily shareable. Check it out at youtube.com slash H-O-E-G law. And our second mega sponsor is Blue. Thank you, Blue. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Uh, just a quick shout out to the sponsors and everyone else. Uh, you guys have bumped us up past the 50,000 mark mm-hmm. on Patreon. We now are looking into getting a studio. We'll have more information on that later. But that's incredible. This is the the highest level of support that we've ever received. And I think it's fair to say we're all pretty blown away by it. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 been pretty nuts. Blown uh, away. Just like like this community push all of a sudden that's happened. Like not just people that have like been giving uh, huge increases, but there's also been people that are jumping on for the first time. And that's you know, like that to me is always like, yeah, the goal is to get as many people in there as possible so that people who have been giving a lot, people who have been sponsors, like they don't feel like everything's on their shoulders, you know. Right. Are you guys ready to, to answer some questions? I'm ready. Okay. I think the first one's a tough one. Hmm. Cole McGrath, which fighting game did he appear in? Is it A, Tatsunoko versus Capcom, B, Soul Calibur 4, or C, Street Fighter Cross Tekken? Cole McGrath from Infinite. Street Fighter Cross Tekken! Tatsunoko versus Capcom! Daniel Bloodworth. Dang. Blood's on the board. Cole McGrath is in that? Blood, I'm surprised you knew that. What in the world? Yeah. I'm an infamous man. Okay. I love infamous. So I'm going to explain is this one just back? a little bit. Is infamous bit. coming back one day? Yeah, it'll come back. Uh, not anytime soon. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that, but I do think <laughs> it'll come back. Cool. Number two, Spartan458. This is a female Spartan, uh, a mm. unique character. Mm. Is it A, Dead or Alive 4, B, Killer Instinct, or C, Soul Calibur 5? Dead, Dead or Alive 4! 
was a tie. That was a tie. Hundred percent. That was. I was a tie. I'm giving you both a point. I knew it was dead or alive. I was just like afraid you were gonna like start throwing each number in there and like oh no, crap. No, yeah. one. <laughs> I didn't get that cruel. Um, I did for one of them. Never mind. <laughs> All right, next one. Ezio from Assassin's Creed. Is that A Tekken Six? B PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale or C Soul Calibur Five? Soul Calibur Five. Huber got it. Mm. Tied up. Two more. Love Ezio. Next is Freddy Krueger. Is that A, Mortal Kombat X, B, Mortal Kombat vs. DC Universe, or C, Mortal Kombat 9? Mortal Kombat 9! Correct. Mm. That one was a little in Huber's favor, I think. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this is your chance to tie it up. Last question. Rash from Battletoads. Is that A, Killer Killer Instinct? Got it. (laughs) The quick draw there. Ties it up! Very fast. There's no other game he would be in. It doesn't make any sense for him to be in a game. <laughs> I did have Clay Fighter 63 and a third on there on that last one. But yes, blood is correct. Uh, he got that. You tied it up. That means you get to do my favorite thing with Cotton's Frame Trap, where you both have to come up with some sort of gesture or or significant action to break us out of this game that we have found ourselves trapped in. We've had some really great moments. I do think. The group hug is one of my favorites that Huber did last time. And the the father-son Kamehameha was also really, really good. That's the kind of level you have to compete at with this. I like getting intimate, Bloodworth. <laughs> I like clasping hands. Nope, keep it there. We're not done. That wasn't enough time. I'll let you know. Okay. I'm comfy here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you all for playing along. That was a quick one. That was very intimate, Bloodworth. That went uh, that I'm went impressed. fast. It was also very intimate. I uh, gonna have to. This is gonna be explicit on iTunes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna hear the intimacy <laughs> through the through the speakers. Yeah, for those of you who are just listening, just Huber and Bloodworth holding hands for an awkwardly long period of time. <laughs> All right, uh, we've got two other E3 games to talk about here from Mr. Dan and Bloodworth. We have Ooblets and the Spectrum Retreat. Which one would you like to start oh, with? Oh, there's one more that I, I think we missed, but uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, if there's uh, anyone missed, let me know. Ooblets I can do real quick. Um, Ooblets, it's like, uh, it's also a Double Fine Presents game. Uh, I think it was in the PC yes. conference. Twice. Uh, so two ba- days straight. Yeah, the basic quick elevator pitch they give is like Pokemon, Animal Crossing, and Harvest Moon all smashed together. Okay. Uh, you actually grow uh, the ooblets like plants and harvest them. And then you can also grow like crafting items and stuff like that. And then uh, one of the first ones they showed was Shrumbo. Shrumbo. Which is like a red and white mushroom. And they're all kind of like vegetable ish, you know. How adorable are we talking here? If you had to they're, rate Shrumbo from one to ten, what would you give him? They're pretty, pretty adorable. Like an yeah. eight. Yeah, eight. Shrumbo's it's, like it's an good, eight. I okay. think, yeah. Uh, and then um, they, but but the thing that really makes them adorable is not just their designs; it's the fact that they don't fight; they do dance battles. <laughs> so they get That's together really and they do dance battles, and then whoever outdances the other one. Wins. So. 
when you see them do the dance battles, do you have any control over that, or is it just like determined by certain stats, or how does that play out? Uh, oh, I don't, I don't remember. I do think that there, like, you, I think that there's definitely some control going on there. But I also know that like Get DDR they talk about like at night, there's like a dance. Oh yeah, there has to be because like at night there's a dance barn, and you go in there and you compete and you actually learn new dances. You learn new moves mm. by by uh, going into the dance barn. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, um, what, what was next? Uh, oh, Spectrum Retreat. Oh, man. We got to play more date? Ooblets. Is there a date on Ooblets yet? Yeah. Uh, 2018 or 2019. Okay. Not really. All right. So. Kind of close. Uh, Spe- Maybe. 2018 hope in there. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Spectrum Retreat is actually coming out really soon. Uh, it's from, a, I think, is I don't remember his last name. It's a guy named Dan, which is why I remembered that part. A guy named Dan. <laughs> A uh, younger guy who won some awards uh, from like for some student projects and stuff like that. Um, it's uh, f- not your kind of game, but <laughs> first-person puzzle game. Um, so uh, lasers? Yes? No? Not that I've seen yet. Okay. Um, Potential for lasers. But there's like some like weird, creepy story stuff going on oh. first before you get into the puzzle. So you like you're in this hotel, and they're like these like mannequin like robots with just like this masks with just like just like a speaker mm-hmm. you're for, selling me blood for a mouth and like that's it it's all you got is this blank mask uh and uh you know someone like comes to your 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 door and says that like breakfast is being served and so like you go down and then like while you're there getting breakfast like somebody like like starts calling you on this phone that looks like a circle and is like y- like you're like like you're in danger. Like you need to get out of this place. Whoa. Um, and so it almost sounds like this whole thing might be completely virtual. Um, and then you go through the puzzles basically to like go up floors to get to the roof where you're going to be able to escape. And then the puzzle rooms look really different. Um, and uh, the mechanic that they had me do was like uh, it's basically like swapping colors. So there'll be like a block that's red and like you're white until you like you put the white on the red block and you get the red out of it. And you so you kind of exchange those. And so there's like a lot of like uh, gating and stuff like that. So like if you're white, you can go through a white gate. And and then if you're red, you can go through a red gate. And so it was a, a lot of it was about like, OK, I've got to like put the white here where I can get to it. Because like if you target it, then like no matter what distance is, you can swap them. Uh, but you had to like. Yeah, to sort of manage like where to swap what, and then there are parts a little bit later where um, you also had like floors, so you had to be the opposite mm. color to not like fall through the floor and like walk across. Uh, so See, just very introductory level of the game, but yeah, and I understand you know just a short demo, but you yeah. mentioned that your character was in danger. Was there any sort of outside threat as you were trying to solve these puzzles, or? Um. No, it was really just about. I mean, it was like the, the like the for one like the hotel was pr- pretty much empty, mm. you know, and then like the creepiness of the robots and stuff like that. So, and who knows? Maybe it's like the person on the phone is the actual right. danger, you right. know, yeah. and it's leading you into a trap. Mind games. Would you yeah. kindly? Yeah. Would you kindly? Um, but yeah, it, I'm not sure. It probably won't cost that much, but it'll be out in the next month or two, I think. So. Cool. 
be, be worth taking a, lo- a look at. I remembered the one that we forgot, and you probably did as well, mm. Ninjala. Ninjala. Mm-hmm. Ninjala. This game had a presence. It, it did. did. It was like big, a really big booth. Yeah, Gosh. really big booth. Yeah. Handing out those I was giant like, inflatable baseball bats. I was like, I don't know what this game is. I, like, I didn't even know the title of the game, Ninjala, yeah. for a while, but I was just like, this seems important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it looks super fun. It, yeah, yeah, it looks like Splatoon. This... this Candy flavored game. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's a good concept that needs some work on controls. Okay. Um, what type of game is it? So uh you're you're trying to like basically score points by like getting knockouts. But the way it works is they they refer to them as bubblegum ninjas. Okay. And so uh you have to blow a bubble and then you turn that bubble into your weapon. And so the only weapon they are, they're allowing anyone to use at E3 was the baseball bat, which is why they, the inflatable bats. Okay. Um, but yeah, so like, like you make your bubble and then you turn that into a baseball bat, and then you can also um, blow a bubble to um, shoot like long range at somebody, but it's a little harder to like hit someone because it's like floaty and everything, and, and they can just walk past it if, mm-hmm. if they're paying attention. But you can kind of combo into that. So if like if you hit somebody with the bubble gum. Then they'll get stuck to the ground, and then you can start wailing on them with a the baseball bat, mm-hmm. or you can wind it up Smash Brothers style and just like knock them out into the wall, and then they'll get stuck to the wall. I love how you say something like "bubblegum ninja," and then it's like, "Oh wait, let me describe how you viciously beat them with a the bat repeatedly." Yeah. Um, also, it's how many players, Bloodworth? Um, I'm not sure. They were having us in pretty small matches. Was it third person? Like yes. Splatoon? Yeah, okay. it's third person. Got it. Um, and uh, I want to say it's probably eight players, but I think we were like, again, like groups at three mm-hmm. just for the demo. How long was a match? Um, like two, three minutes. Cool. Yeah. Uh, another thing Bubblegum lets you do is walk on walls, which is kind of crazy. So like the arena they had was essentially a bridge. And so you would like get a little bit of bubble gum. You always basically always want to have like a little bit of a bubble in front of you at all times. Get a little bit of bubble gum, and then you could like walk up the wall, pick up some uh, collectibles, and then um, and then you could walk onto the top of the bridge. Is so there you, a limit to how long you can walk on the walls? No, I think it's as long as you have a, a bubble. So if like somebody hits you, like they could knock your bubble off, oh, okay. and you could fall that way. Um, another thing that was kind of uh, interesting is that you don't necessarily have to get all your kills from attacking other players. There are also like these robots out there, uh, and so like if you hit the robots, um, you can get points that way. Uh, but I think like if you wait, like the robots actually get larger, and so like I think they get harder if uh, nobody's been going after mm. them. Uh, hmm. So yeah, so interesting stuff there. PVEVP. Uh, the uh, I think the main thing that was just kind of weird for me is just the, the mechanics of like just aiming at people. There wasn't like a lock on, so oh man, yeah. So like you just try to like w- go up to somebody and swing and like oh nope, I di- wasn't quite in range like I thought I was. No no no. Yeah. It seems like a game that desperately needs a lock on. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, beyond the lack of a lock on, you mentioned. The controls did you was it uh, beyond like trying to get them in a place where you could hit them did it feel sluggish at all was there kind of a looseness with the movement or? well one of the things that's interesting is uh, your the size of your bubble mm-hmm. when you make your weapon 
determines both the speed and durability of that weapon. Yeah. So you can like really quickly like blow a small bubble, make a small bat, and so you have less range. Your bat's gonna break quicker. Right. Um, but you can like attack really fast with it. Sure. Um, yeah, whereas, that's a cool idea. Yeah, and then otherwise, like if you make it really big, then like your slower attack, you have longer range. Um, but yeah, like you've got that disadvantage that somebody could kind of come in and, and, and counter you a little bit easier. Sounds like there's potential. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely potential. I think it, it's uh, a good idea. It definitely has like a vibrant, like kind of like Splatoon. It has that art mm-hmm. style that like really stands out. Uh, I think they just like work in nailing those con- controls a little bit better. Nice. Um, do we have a release date for this? I want to say it's sometime in 2019, but I don't know exactly. Is Got this it. Switch exclusive or everything? Um, because if it's I don't everything, know. I think it's just Switch, but I could be wrong. Okay. I was going to say, because Splatoon is a Switch exclusive, so right. with this, you know, there's, I feel like there's a market right. on PlayStation and Xbox. Yeah. Get your colorful action. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Another it doesn't, yeah. yeah, that's the thing, is like, uh, Splatoon, I think, like, it has a much smoother feel of controls, I think, mm. with, like, the inking and the diving and stuff, and this one is just, you're just kind of running around everywhere, it's sort of the same speed. Mm-hmm. It's, Splatoon is tight. Yeah. I am so excited. I don't have I don't have to bring it on this frame trap, but I am going to play that Octo expansion. Oh, yeah. Looks great. And I'm going to have a good time with it. Uh, Huber, you are bringing a movie that I am just super personally interested in. I've heard nothing but great things. And I feel like every so often, maybe once or twice a year, in fact, you get that movie that people hype up as one of the scariest movies ever. Or There's always I can't one believe, or two. Yeah. I can't believe how frightening that is. And that's what people are saying about mm. Hereditary. Uh it's gotten very, very, very good reviews and a lot of buzz. Michael Huber, as the expert of horror amongst the Easy Allies, what did you think of it? Easily. One of the darkest movies I've ever seen. Dark as in violence or just Dark sadness? as in subject matter, sadness, mm. tone. I... Usually shout from the rooftops like, hey, you got to see this. The Wailing, you got to go. You got to yeah. see it. You got to see The Witch. You got to mm-hmm. see It Follows. Hereditary? I won't blame you if you don't want to see it. Because this... I see a lot of horror. And this one really, really got me. It was very, very draining. Mm. Uh, and very disturbing. This, this movie is so intense. It is... A family. It's about a family, and there are. It's a. It's a demon horror movie. Mm-hmm. So demonic family. Um, again, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil too much, but I do want to praise the family drama, and I really want to praise Tony Collette's performance, the mm-hmm. lead actress of the film. She was in uh, like Six Sense. And what is her? Is she the so mother? So she's the mother. Okay. Um. And her performance, like, give her the Academy Award now. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable performance. Mm. Um, her husband's Gabriel Byrne, who is always a pleasure to watch. Uh, I don't get enough Gabriel Byrne in my life. But her performance had me so convinced uh, and just so on the edge of my seat because she... she Toes the line of so many emotions of grief, of 
She knows exactly what's going on. She doesn't know what's going on. She's hallucinating. She's out of her mind. Just she, all the entire spectrum of emotion she taps into brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is kind of the, the core of the movie, obviously, is, yeah. is her and her relationship with her son, her relationship with her husband. She goes through so much loss in this movie uh, and seeks outside help. You know, she she goes to a a uh, um, uh, uh, de- not a demonologist, but a uh, I'm missing the word right now. Like uh, like a for- not a fortune teller, but like mm. a spirit talker, I guess. You okay. know, to try to reconnect with lost loved ones. Um. And and yeah, there there are it, there's not too much violence. There's not too much action. You know, it's not like uh, the Conjuring or or even Insidious where there's like this demon running around all over the place. You know, it right. is way more grounded, way more of a slow slow burn. It clocks in at like two hours ten minutes. Okay, very very just slowly peels back the layers. Yeah, so you, you mentioned other horror movies there, and you brought up, like, The Conjuring. It's very easy mm-hmm. to identify the thing that you're supposed to be afraid of, mm-hmm. these these spirits. Yeah. In Hereditary, you say that there's not a lot of violence, so yeah. what makes it so unsettling? Like, how does that happen? So, there are a couple moments that are major spoilers that I cannot talk about. Absolutely. There are a couple moments sprinkled in there that kind of change the direction of the movie. Okay. But there's this constant... There's this constant feeling of shit's you're you're dead, you know, you're dead, or shit's gonna hit the fan, or like sinister undertones of like just dread, this underlying dread through the entire movie. Is it something where you and the characters are kind of experiencing this dread at the same time, or do you have more knowledge than the characters do? So so she plays it so perfectly because you. Like, you're rooting for her every step of the way, but you also don't know exactly where her head is at Mm -hmm. because, you know, she talks about having, uh, there was this moment in the past. This is not really a spoiler. There was this moment prior to the movie. Uh, she tells the story of, you know, because her relationship with her husband is strained, uh, and she talks about this moment in the past of where she was sleepwalking. And she woke up, everyone was covered in gas, and she was holding a match. Mm. But she was sleepwalking during it. Mm-hmm. But the husband, you know, like, can't really forgive her for this moment. Even though she was saying, like, yo, I, I snapped out of it and I, like, threw the match out immediately. Like, it wasn't me. You know, I was sleepwalking. Right. So, there's that element of, you know, what are you seeing there there's just this distortion of perception mm. throughout the movie uh, i love that yeah it uh, is it is riveting uh there obviously are a couple scenes that are deeply graphic and disturbing there's one one scene in this movie that is forever in my brain i feel like you don't get unsettled that <laughs> yeah. easily so yeah. that i do not i do not Telling. Uh, it's always that one or two movie a year, like you were saying, you know, yeah. and this is the one, like, came out of that movie just like, oh, God, I felt so 
grimy. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing for me about the one or two movie uh, being so terrifying is it usually doesn't live up to that billing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like for you that it totally did. Totally. I was watching a review on IGN. Uh, this is the one review I checked out for this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, something interesting that they said was at the end... Um, it kind of puts the pieces into place for you and that the reviewer was a little bit disappointed by that uh, because it would have been kind of fun, I think, to think about the the images and the symbolism that it was presenting. Do you, do you agree with that criticism? I, it's so funny you say that. When I saw a movie with a friend, I immediately came out. We were talking about it. I was like, well, I know that ending is going to be extremely divisive ah. because there are horror mm. movies that really lean into this is kind of what happened and there are horror movies that really leave it open to discussion. Um, and I really liked the ending. I do. But I think by kind of leaning into what it did, I feel like it'll hold up even better on repeat viewings. If mm. that makes sense. Mm. Sure. Kind of knowing it ahead of time and rewatching it. Uh, kind of knowing where things are going versus, you know, something like, uh, trying to think like, uh, man, even the witch kind of leans into it. I'm trying to think of like a really ambiguous, like horror movie ending. I'm, I can't think of one right now, but yeah, I, I, I get the divisiveness of the ending. That was mm-hmm. something that I've talked about immediately with my friend was like, hmm, surprised. Yeah. Surprised mm-hmm. they went there and did that. So. But again, I am not going to blame anyone for skipping this movie yeah. because not only is it a horror movie and like pretty scary and disturbing, but it's also just like depressing, hmm. you know, like very, very depressing movie. Yeah. So if you don't want to partake in that, to definitely do not see this movie. <laughs> there are horror movies that I've seen and it is what keeps me interested in horror movies where I feel like I see something so horrifying but it's it's speaking to something there's there's something underneath all of the the gore or the tragedy like it's speaking to something and mm-hmm. I always find that fascinating using really dark themes to touch upon something that you couldn't if you were trying to keep it clean right mm-hmm. uh, but then I see things and the, my mind always jumps to like Hostel 2 and I know some people really love that movie uh, and I kind Grand of enjoyed the I, I kind of enjoyed the first Hostel movie but at the end of the second one it just, I was like, I feel like I've just watched the most cynical thing ever that had absolutely no point mm-hmm. and just made me angry. Like, yeah. it mm. just, it just grossed me out to no yeah. real end. Just and a like, gore fest. Right. And I'm, I'm okay with the gore fest, but I think the gore fest that I really get into are the ones that kind of have fun with it or there's yes. something cathartic about it. I don't like the gore fest where it's, I don't know. I, I, I think cynical is really the only way that I can describe it mm-hmm. is... I think if you're going to be gory, have fun with it, you know? Like, that's why I enjoy, like, uh, video game, you shoot them with a shotgun, they explode, and it's just kind of fun, and there's a heavy metal track playing in the background. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Not against violence, but it just, it leaves so much more of an impact if there's a, if there's some sort of point behind it. There's a reason why we're killing these people in these ways. Oh, yeah. Everything makes sense in in, uh, Hereditary. hereditary. And that's because of the ending also, you know? If they left it ambiguous and open, Mm uh... (laughs) I see, 100% I see both sides, but I enjoyed the ending, and yeah. there is some top-tier, top-disturbing levels of 
imagery. Your Good hesitation Lord. on on like, hey, I understand if you don't see this movie yeah. makes me want to see it more because it <laughs> felt like no, it felt like you really walked away with something. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm trying to mm-hmm. speak to is. Yes. Like, you're carrying this movie with you. It yeah. wasn't just kind of this empty experience, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, whatever, and you forget about it in a week. Absolutely. It so. was the imagery, and it was her riveting performance. Yeah. I will be shocked if she doesn't get, like, it's early, so hopefully they don't forget. Right. But I'd be, and it's horror, so that kind of is weird at the Oscars. Like, I would be stunned if she didn't get a nomination at least, mm-hmm. because Tony Collette slayed this movie. Whew. One of my favorite performances I've seen in a long while. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to move away from the dark and scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we're going to talk about Mario Tennis Dude, Aces. Just think, thinking about it, Ben. Nice. Like, it's in my brain now. It's uh, People that have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I was a little hesitant to bring Mario Tennis Aces to the table because I'm still, like, just getting my feet wet with Mario Tennis Aces. And so you should know that what I'm talking about is coming from that perspective. Uh, I messed around a little bit when they had the tournament beta thing that came out. Um, And then this morning before Frame Trap uh, and last night, I I kind of got into the very beginnings of adventure mode, which was what something I was super curious about. Well, yeah, because the last Mario Tennis game, it was just like, that's it? Yeah. Uh, totally. I already yeah. that one. And, um, uh, and one of the... Was it a Mario Tennis or Mario Golf that had like the really great RPG mode back uh, in the day? Mario Golf on Game Boy Color. Yeah. yeah. Um, the RPG stuff in this seems... Other people have said, and based on my other experience, it does seem pretty light. Like, as you do stages in the adventure mode, you'll level up and you'll get, you know, bumps to stats. Like, hey, you know, my shots are a little bit faster or I'm a little bit faster. Um, But it doesn't seem to be incredibly complex or anything like that. Uh, And the setup for the adventure mode, the story tying it all together is pretty light as well. It's it's got a charm to it, but there's not... It's not going to blow you away. There is this evil tennis racket. It is possessing people. You've got to find these power stones uh, to stop all of this madness. Is Bowser an ally or an enemy? I'm not. A, uh, Bowser is... No. So it's Waluigi and Wario that are with this evil tennis racket. And Luigi gets sucked into this mess as well. And he gets mm. possessed. Mm. I don't think I've seen Bowser in the adventure mode yet. Okay. Third party. I think he'll, you know, he'll be coming. Uh, uh, people have said the adventure mode is pretty quick as well. Can't speak to that either. Yeah. But what I do like Domiani about the actually mode, warned me about that because uh, I said I was extremely was. interested in the story mode. Yeah. And he slack messaged me a day later. He was like, hey, you know, you said you really wanted to check this out for the story mode. Just want you to know it's pretty thin. Yeah. It's cool, but it's thin and quick. Right. That so. is that is the word on the street is that it's, yeah. it's pretty quick. Um, so far, though, I do like the way that it's structured because yeah. Mario Tennis Aces, I, I think, is maybe more mechanically complex than people are expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a lot of different types of shots that you can do, but you have it's, it's also a lot about meter management and building up meter uh, because you want to do these charge shots to fill this meter, and then if you fill this meter, you can do different things with it. Uh, You can do these super shots where you use 
you can I'm using the the motion the gyro of the pro controller to aim at specific spots on the court that takes like a third of your meter if you get the meter all the way up you do a character specific super move mm. um, and that's extremely powerful you can win by knocking your opponent out which if you've been following this game that's something that you know uh, and to stop that you can slow down time and you have to press the button at just the right moment in order to block these crazy shots and so it's you know, it's not just about having a good rally. It's about using all these different abilities that you have at the right time and learning uh, how they function. Another one is the uh, this trick shot. So you can use the right analog stick to move quickly. Like I'm, you're playing as Mario in the adventure mode and he'll like flip up into the air and hit it back. And it allows you to move really quickly, but the timing is kind of weird because you're not just moving over. He's doing this huge flip. And so you have to get used to how it feels and when you can use it because obviously there are times where you can use it and you completely mess it up. But if you do get it right, you'll see a huge benefit. And that sort of thing. So there's a lot going on. And the reason I'm saying all of this is because the adventure mode does a great job of taking you through all this stuff step by step. Nice. Um, it does that in a pretty traditional way at first. You kind of go to these ruins and it's like, hey, these are all of the different types of shots you can do. Do all of them. Get them right 10 times. You can move on. Hmm. So pretty standard stuff. Um, but then there was a challenge uh, that I did before I came here. And you have all of these piranha plants. And they're kind of all like in a in a mass in the back and they're shooting fireballs at you <laughs> and you need to hit them 30 times within the time limit and in order to do that the easiest way to do that is to master your like special shot where you're aiming because they're kind of hard to hit like they're shooting the fireballs at you fast enough that it's hard to aim with your regular shot and so you want to use the ability of that super shot to really pin them down. And so it's like, oh, this is a cool, fun, different way of teaching me this mechanic. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, maybe, you know, I'll get through this and I'll be like, ah, that was that was too short, that was too thin. But at least right now in the early goings, I think it's doing a great job of adapting me to its control style in a way that feels very approachable. Nice. And I like that a lot. Um, also, the super moves are just hilarious. It was really cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it's still in the early goings for that. I want to play a lot more of that. Uh, hopefully, we'll on the next frame trap, we'll have a lot more to say. I know. I want to play it at the group stream, but... Yeah. All the greats. Right. Maybe next week after that. Yeah. I won't be here, unfortunately. Damn. Uh, the last thing that I want to talk about before we move on to the back half of the show, and I don't have to talk about it too long, but that is Pokemon Sun. Um, so, a while ago, before... E3 happened, I finished Pokemon Sun, and it was something that I started when it came out, but just didn't finish it, um, and the Pokemon Book Club that we've been doing at Discord and just Pokemon Let's Go has kind of gotten me in the, the Pokemon phase again, um, and Pokemon Sun is really cool, um, and I think it, in some ways, kind of addresses, like, common complaints that I had heard over time about Pokemon of, oh, it's always the same, and uh, part of the way that they mix that up is they have these trials, and uh, the trials are not just purely replacements for gyms, where if you're familiar with Pokemon gyms, you go in, you do a bunch of battles, maybe you solve a light puzzle until you get to the boss. Um, they try to be a little bit more creative with the trials, and some of them are more successful than others, but a uh, kind of late game one that really stuck out to me is you go to this uh, haunted like convenience store, 
and you go in there and you kind of have to figure out what's going on and like cans will be shaking you have to go there and then you have to use your camera to move your 3ds around and take a picture of the ghost and then you battle the ghost uh and you just you kind of solve this little mystery and it doesn't take that long but it's like oh okay this is kind of a different thing and so i really appreciated that and i do think for somebody like me especially and maybe this isn't true for other people but Alolan Pokemon are really smart, in my opinion, hmm. um, because I really was... smart themselves or a smart thing to create? A smart thing to create and to implement into the game okay. because of what I think they add. Um, I was really tapped into Pokemon in Generation 1 and Generation 2, and there was a point in time where just Pokemon wasn't cool anymore, and the people that I used to get excited about Pokemon with and play Pokemon with completely fell out of it. And therefore, I fell out of it, too. And I'd always wanted to get back in. Uh, and I really made an effort with Gen 6, with X and Y. And I played, I want to say, like, 20 hours of that game. And I just got kind of bored. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. And there's a lot new in X and Y. I don't want to undersell it too much. But it's kind of a weird feeling when you're like, man, I've been away from this so long. And it still kind of feels samey, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, and then... With Sun and Moon, these Alolan forms is they take some of the original 151 Pokemon and they change them. And so they change, they completely change their type. And so you're like, oh, I think Vulpix is a fire type. Oh no, it's an ice type. And it's just kind of this cool moment where you're like, wait, I know you, but I also totally don't. And so simultaneously, it's familiar and kind of exciting. Mm. because you, you're already invested. You're like, how did they change you? My, my precious Vulpix, I must know. Um, and so that's really cool. Uh, yeah, and plus, it's a very basic, very shallow thing. But I think the Tropical Island theme is very fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just good times. Just people dancing around, a lot of beaches, that sort of thing. Really dug that. Uh, the thing I don't like... And the thing I don't think they did very well, though I appreciate the effort, is ultimately where they went with the storyline. I think Ultra Beast, kind of these big mysterious creatures, just ended up feeling unnecessary. I don't think their attempts at building mystery or threat with them really paid off. Um, And tied into that, there's sort of this family drama where they really try to make you feel like (laughs) this mom is abandoning her kids uh, in pursuit of these ultra beasts. And they go for (laughs) these moments um, of like, oh, man, can you believe that this is happening? Don't you feel for this family? And you really don't uh, because they don't do a great job of incorporating that dynamic until the end. Mm. And at the end, I feel like they lean into it way too hard. And so when it shows up, there's really not enough space for it to breathe to become convincing. Mm. And so it's like they're trying to have the super emotional story, uh, but it just wasn't kind of massaged into the overall narrative as well as it could have been. Because when you start that game, and it's been a while since I've played the beginning of it, but... It is just super, super, super slow. And so I think they could do uh, a better job of kind of giving you the core themes of the story a little bit earlier than they do. And there are hints of it, but uh, the crux doesn't come until later, I would say. I'm really interested, now that I'm kind of in a Pokemon phase, people have talked about Generation 5, like Black and White and Black and White Mm -hmm. 2, having kind of the best story. Yeah, that's what Kyle always told me. Yeah, and that is really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I would love to play a Pokemon game and walk away and go like, wow, that story is really Mm -hmm. awesome. 
And so hopefully at some point uh, I can check that out. But it feels good to like be at a familiar level with Pokemon again. Like yeah. to kind of be like I'm not I'm certainly not an expert or anything like that. I, I don't want to make those claims, but to to be more in tune with it than I was before. That's nice. Uh, Huber, I want to talk to you about Pokemon because yeah. uh, when we were talking <laughs> about Pokemon X and Y uh, during Game of the Year that year, you were frustrated at how easy it was mm-hmm. to just kind of get through everything with your starter. And to be fair, uh, I believe Generation 6 is kind of like considered to be one of the easiest generations. Um, but it seemed like that kind of burned you out on Pokemon completely. Yeah, because there's no story to get attached to and mm-hmm. no interesting mechanics to get attached to because i just mash a the entire time Mm -hmm. tackle flame you know like people try to come at me and say like there's no way you got to switch it up like some of the gym leaders and it's Mm -hmm. like i specifically remember beating water pokemon with fire pokemon Mm -hmm. and that should never happen Mm -hmm. like it happened (laughs) you know (laughs) and i just i'm like i just got over it because there was nothing to get attached to story-wise and you know collecting the Pokemon wasn't enough of a drive to go forward because I was content with my original starting Pokemon. You know, it's like, all right, these guys are leveled up. They're wrecking shop. Like, I don't even need to go into the wild and hunt and catch anything else because I'm just steamrolling through the game. Yeah. And I have to wonder if that's just a a Gen 6 problem because I would not describe Pokemon Sun as a difficult game. Mm -hmm. I don't even think it's, like, in the realm of difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh haven't played through Ultra Sun or Ultra Moon yet, but just vanilla Pokemon Sun, it did at the very least, especially in the back half of the game, I couldn't just use my starter. Like, I was using Decidueye, Grass and Ghost, Weakness. There were enough moments where it's like, no, I need to have backup plans. I need to try to be a little bit varied. And that especially came through uh, in the Elite Four mm-hmm. matches, where, again, it wasn't that difficult, but I felt like I had to think a little bit. Mm. Is it just maybe because of the way that you, again, it could just be a Gen 6 problem, but is it like, were you super leveled up? Are you very aggressive about catching a lot of different type of Pokemon? Yeah, like my my roster is always like one of each. Yeah. You know, so sure, at most like, all right, swap them in, Mm -hmm. swap this one out. You know, I like to have a good tackle in there. Right. Tackle is like the most important move to me in Pokemon because it can take anyone out. Yeah. Um but yeah, I Full swipe. I'm getting yeah, I'm getting I I go through a lot of changes. Yeah. In my life. With my tastes, <laughs> with my opinions. You know, I'm easily swayed. I, I like to be always open even to things I dislike. You know, a recent example is Fallout 4. Yeah. Uh I'm always open to pokemon i played red obviously in the beginning you know and i got diamond i got x and i got sun and i only got like five hours into sun but it just didn't grab me like you said it was a slow start yeah it's a super slow start yeah uh but i'm very excited for the switch pokemon and i'm in a point right now where the easy difficulty will not put me off Hmm. i'm i'm ready you know if it's super easy whatever so at least I'm, I have that going for me now with the new Pokemon, and yeah. hopefully we get like at least a somewhat decent story. Um, and you know, I I don't particularly care for handhelds that much. So being a full Switch release, I am 100% on board, 100% day one, mm-hmm. diving in. Cool. So, uh, Blood, 
stepping into some Pokemon Crystal, and the first gym leader in that is a <laughs> a bird master, <laughs> and uh, it made me think of your affinity for bird Pokemon, and it, then that makes me think of a Bloodworth plays Pokemon series where you exclusively use flying type Pokemon. <gasps> And how awesome that would be. <laughs> and the art that we would potentially get from that. Sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> is that a possibility? Because you, you seem to have like oh, some sort series, of... series, I don't know about really doing a full Right, series. I'm not trying to get you to commit to a whole new video series, but it seems like you have some like light affinity for Pokemon. Yeah, uh, my my trouble with Pokemon is always get like obsessed in, in the minutia. And, yeah. Uh, and then other games just come along and like i have to play that for work or for whatever and so then i i get knocked out of whatever rhythm i was in trying mm. to play pokemon and so yeah it, it's just like you know trying to catch as many pokemon as i can and trying to you know swap out uh team members and stuff like that i just get like caught up in all these weird stupid little management things and like yeah Oh yeah, uh, what, what's the story? What's happening right now? Where am I supposed mm-hmm. to be? You know, I just like I don't get through like an introductory town because I just get obsessed. Like, oh, there's some grass. I bet there's something new over there I haven't seen yet. So. Right, and and part of the reason I think for X and Y and for uh, Omega, Ruby and Alpha Sapphire is the reason I didn't get through them is because Pokemon is so easy to, to force these arbitrary rules on yourself and get really OCD about it. Um, and it was Sun. I think part of the reason I, I stopped playing it is I had this rule in all of these games that I just described. It's like, I'm not moving on until I capture every Pokemon in this area. And, you know, some of them have really low appearance uh, ratings. And when you're going from area to area and you're spending so much time there, it got to a point with Sun where I was doing that for a good chunk of the game. And I was like, I will never finish this if I force this rule on myself. And so I just had to let it go, had to continue. Um, because catching is so much fun. That's yeah. the thing is, is catching them and, and having that moment when you see them and they finally show up. It's really exciting, but yeah. I want him to lean into like the relationship with the Pokemon more. Hmm. You know, but we've got beans and we've got the grooming and weird. I stuff. Want, yeah, that stuff. But like, like, give me a meowth, dude. Give me a Pokemon that talks to me. Give mm. me like a straight up relationship, right. or <laughs> like a spinoff game where it's you and your one. Pokemon or something that is crazy. I don't know, just crazy ideas. Just really diving I mean, into like the relationship. Of Pikachu it. and Eevee have a little bit of that yeah. with the constant companion on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Two things I'm into with that. that. I like it. I don't have experience with these games, but what I've been told uh, by people is like the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they get to be characters more in cool. that sort of game, and uh, I think you maybe could potentially get invested in the stories there. <laughs> Um, but like Blood was saying, uh, by the end of Pokemon Sun, I actually really came to appreciate the the taking care of your Pokemon and feeding them, uh, because you get greatly rewarded for doing that. Obviously, there are some Pokemon that can only level up if their their friendship level with you is high enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Decidueye, right? My 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 the final evolution of my starter Rowlet. Um, there'd be so many times where it would be like, hey, he got a critical hit. It's because you have this good relationship that that help, he wants to be praised, nice. or he would dodge something, and he's like, "Hey, isn't that sweet?" <laughs> um, and it, you'd get this little heart, and it was like, "Oh, 
you're kind of giving me a sense of a bond here. Cool. Like my other Pokemon that I haven't spent as much time with, I'm not getting those messages. And so... I love uh, that stuff. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And man, I had a Pichu for a while because <laughs> I really wanted to evolve it into a Pikachu. And I had to, to build up its relationship with me. I had to build up its friend level and just going and just rubbing its little head and having it smile. <laughs> That's where I'm at in my life. Yeah. That pleases me greatly. Yeah. So, Again, yeah, it's yeah. where you're where you at in your life, you know? Yeah. Seriously. And I do think, honestly, it might just be like your distaste for handhelds. And so like <laughs> while I'm excited for Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu and, and Eevee, I want to see how those mm-hmm. shake out. Like I it was also the... want and it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. We know it's coming, but I want it. It's that triple threat of like too easy so I can't get attached to the mechanics. Yeah. Story I can't get attached to. Right. And it was on handheld. Right. So I'm just like, all right, sure. yeah. you know. Triple threat. Yeah, I that slow start in mm-hmm. Sun, like it's mm-hmm. definitely there, but it's also one of those games, and you know, I'm sure you've had plenty of situations like this where I, I do feel like gotta get over that hump. Once you get over the hump, <laughs> totally. yeah, for sure. Yo, is Raichu underrated? Uh, yes, especially with Alolan Raichu, which is, in my opinion, one of the all-time greats, and it's currently in my party. Alolan Raichu, Electric, and Psychic, which is very useful. And have you seen Alolan Raichu? No. Okay, so it's like brighter color, but the best part is, you know, you're in a tropical setting, it surfs on its goddamn tail. (laughs) So when you you throw it out of the Pokeball, it's just floating on its tail, and it's like, what's up, dude? Yeah. Put some yeah. swim trunks on it. Like, how do you not have that guy in your party for yeah. life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's top tier. And you should see the Alolan Geodude line. I think you'd be way into it. Uh, Gollum has, like, cannons on his back. So it's many pretty great. Pokemon. Geodude has, like, these thick eyebrows. It's awesome. Yeah, it's good stuff. Pokemon is great. You know what else is great? <laughs> okay. Uh, today, we're going to talk about, because uh, we I was streaming Suicoden. Yeah. And we were looking at game releases, and I realized it's going to be rough come this fall. It's going to be rough, I think, in a way that is potentially very concerning. And it's a conversation we've had in other years, (laughs) but I want to have it this year, where I feel like potentially releases are stepping on top of each other, and... You know, games that aren't quite as big have a chance of getting buried. Better finish all your games before October 26th. <sighs> right. And so I just kind of want to give you a sense of how close some of these things are to each other. So Dragon Quest Eleven is coming out on September 4th, okay? Uh, this is obviously North American release dates here. Uh, Spider-Man is coming out September 7th, just three days later. Um, <laughs> September 25th, Valkyria Chronicles 4 comes out. September 28th, just three days later, Code Vein comes out. Also, uh, September 4th or 7th is the Destiny expansion. Okay, that is, good to know. That's something. Good to know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I didn't pull every example, of just course, a of few course. examples. I knew that one would slip under the radar. Sure, that's fair. Um, on October 2nd, these are all coming out on the same exact day. We have Forza Horizon 4, Fist in the North Star, Lost Paradise, and Mega Man 11 all on October 7th. Or on, no, sorry, excuse me, October 2nd. On October 19th, we have Battlefield 5 and Soul Calibur 6 on the same day. And on October 26th, as already mentioned, uh, just mm-hmm. a week later, we have Red Dead Redemption 2. So In October, somewhere in there is Assassin's Creed. Sure, 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 sure. I think that's the 6th. Mm-hmm. If that's, if that's like the 5th that. or the 6th, that's yeah. just a few days after those three games that yeah, come out on the same Yeah, it is. I remember day. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but my question to you is this. 
Is, is this a problem? Does this really hurt these games? Are we over-exaggerating that problem? And are these different audiences for these games? Uh, I'd say for the most part, those are definitely different audiences on most of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, some of them, like Dragon Quest, I could see the dude, issue of that's a horrible release date. people yeah, either starting it and then putting it down and not getting back to it. Or um, yeah. or just, you know, saying, oh, I'll get to this after Spider-Man and then just not actually, you know, having the interest afterwards. I do think you can make the different audience case uh, for a couple of these, but one that really stuck out to me, Valkyria Chronicles 4 on the 25th and Code Vein on the 28th, those seem like very a very similar audience that mm-hmm. would be interested uh, in both of those style of games. And they're both pretty substantial games you know you're not gonna get through either one in probably a weekend um and so that worries me and i just i feel like a lot of these deserve that chance i feel like dragon quest 11 deserves that chance yeah. i feel like valkyria chronicles yeah, 4 deserves September, that chance. like dragon quest 11 is like hitting at the very end of when it should be hitting and mm-hmm. it should be a little bit earlier than that it i should think be a little earlier. yeah it should have been like august yeah mm-hmm. slide in there uh, Especially go, because it's so big, it's so massive. Like, you're not to gonna go finish right that game by October. Spider-Man, dude. Spider-Man right. is easily gonna be one of the most critically acclaimed and commercially successful games of the year. Draft your tweets. Like that game is going to sell like hotcakes. Everyone's gonna be talking about it, and Dragon Quest is gonna be drowned out. You're gonna be hearing, like it's gonna, it's gonna be people trying to praise it. You know, everyone's gonna be talking about Spider-Man. You're gonna see like, hey, Dragon Quest, right? right. You know, but it. That's a that's a tough battle because they're both you know they're they're different. It's like sure, one is fantasy, one is superhero, right. one is like it, in the past you could call Dragon Quest. Sure, one is in the present day, but they're still both big open world games that are going to take a good amount of time to get through. Right. So that matchup is concerning <laughs> for me. Right. Um. I also think for extremely long, you know, potentially a hundred hour JRPGs, you want to come out before the fall. Yeah. You want to, because I I think that's, I think that's always such a huge roadblock for people. Um, but at least when you have like the spring or the summer, that's potentially a lot of people that Mm -hmm. have time off or are taking vacations. Right after E3, right now, if Dragon Quest came out, what are like, I want to know why I want to talk to the publishers, and I want to know. It's not a matter of like, hey, give me the game now. Mm-hmm. It's that has nothing to do with it. I'll wait as long as you want me to wait. Right. I'm just extremely curious as to why they wouldn't try to come out like right after E3 when they're right now when there's a little bit of a lull, right when people are off of school. Right. You know, think about all the kids that could that could be their summer game. Yeah. Like before all these massive juggernaut games, Assassin's Creed, Battlefield, Call of Duty, Spider-Man, Red Dead, you want to avoid that. So does it have to do with fiscal years and like quarterly earnings? Is is that really such a a big decision in releasing these games? Um do they only think about their game in relation to that? Or are they actually looking on a map saying, hmm, Spider-Man comes out right then. Oh, well, who well, cares? Well, Spider-Man's announced date was later, right? Yeah. 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 I, yeah. And I've heard, because I've asked this question before, um, I've heard that 
they're like, hey, all times are bad. We're just trying to, you know, we, we have to formulate these things. We have to have them in place so early. Yeah. And that, you know, sometimes we unfortunately get into situations that we didn't foresee or were unavoidable and all of that stuff. And I, I understand that. I do. Yeah. And so it's not as easy as just... Just like, up oh, now. Right. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. For sure. But, you know, the it's marketing been a, machine. <laughs> it's been a while uh, since the Japanese release of Dragon Quest XI. Uh, would you rather... Based on the situation, would you rather just have them push it back to, like, January 2019 or February 2019? No, because January and February are insane already, sure, too. Sure, I do think, you know, potentially December, beginning of December could be a good time for them. Then you got Kingdom Hearts. Those are in, like, direct competition. Kingdom Hearts December? I thought yeah. it was... Yep. No, oh. no, no, no. Kingdom Hearts is January. January, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. They're still right but, around the corner, right. you know? I, yeah, I still both, think the point their, stands. Their yeah, games, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it... I always get them mixed up. Is it... Kingdom Hearts, that's January 29th, and Resident Evil 2 Remake, that's January 25th? Yes. Okay, all right. Thank yeah, you. Kingdom Hearts is a few days after. Okay. Um, another thing that I want to throw at you that I was thinking of that kind of uh, spurred on this otake is the Battlefield Five and Soul Calibur Six sharing the same October 19th date. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were saying you think for most of these, they're different audiences, and you could maybe argue that with uh, Battlefield Five and Soul Calibur Six, But for fighting games specifically... I think they especially benefit from not being around other things because I think there's, and this is all just, you know, speculation on my part. I think there's a good chunk of the audience that is like, I know I'm never going to put a serious amount of time into fighting games. I know that I'm never going to reach a certain level, but if there's nothing else out, it might be fun to play a few rounds as Geralt, mm-hmm. or it might be fun to mess around with my friends online or on the couch for a week. And I think it used to be that way. I think you used to have people that would play Tekken or Soul Calibur or Street Fighter um, while they were waiting for other bigger things. And I think potentially maybe people that are in the Battlefield Five, Forza Horizon, Red Dead Redemption camp, you're taking them away because they're like, well, I would, but... I'm not going to prioritize that experience over these other games. And I think that's really frustrating. Uh, for me personally, I never mind it when a fighting game comes out around a big game because it's, for me, it's my cool-off game. Mm-hmm. Mm. And those the fighting games are great for that. Yeah. So if some massive game comes out like Battlefield, you know, where I'm diving into the story. Right. Getting, you know, getting into the trenches and really putting my time in hardcore. Take a little dinner break. Come back cool off with uh, a fighting game Soul Calibur because I don't take it that seriously you know and I think that's a great perspective mm-hmm. but I think a cool off is a hard sell at 60 bucks of course of course, um, of course. is the only is the only thing of course. Um, I and it's it's hard because like I have no problem spending a lot of money per month on video yeah, games but I don't think that's the case for most people of course um, which it's is my passion totally it's my number one expense right um Blood, which of these do you think is, is the biggest problem? Do you think it's the Dragon Quest XI and Spider-Man situation? Do you think it's October 7th with all... Or I keep saying the 7th. October 2nd with these three games. Like Which, which potentially screams crisis to you the most? Um, I think Fist of the North Star and Mega Man 11 coming out in October at all are not great ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think people are just going to be jumping into to other games more readily. Mm-hmm. Um, Assassin's Creed is days after that. It's like three days later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I both mean, both of those are, are are have an uphill battle as it is. 
Yeah. It, so it, I, I think putting them in the midst of everything else. Is- it's frightening because within a month and a half, you're looking at like six 50 to 100 hour games. Right. You know? That is not even Ben Mighty Moore can can handle that Absolutely amount not. of hours, you no. know? I mean, between Valkyria Chronicles and Dragon Quest and Spider-Man and Assassin's yeah. Creed and Red Dead, there's no humanly possible way. You can devote your l- entire life, which we do, right. to video <laughs> games and maybe, you know, get through a couple of those. Like... It really and, sucks because and I don't want to rush through Dragon Quest. Right, but no. I really want to play Spider Man. Right, it's like, and it's it's the other frustrating thing <laughs> of, and you know this, going through JRPGs, and I, I've had to do this at multiple points. Taking a long break is the worst. The worst. It really sucks that when you're trying to climb this huge mountain and you're like, okay, I got to go away for a month, and then you come mm-hmm. back, mm-hmm. it makes that climb feel even worse. It's like you slid down yeah. a few hundred feet. That sucks. And it also sucks because like I'm on the other side of this where E3 really sold me on Spider-Man. I, I want to check out Spider-Man. I'm not going to put that above a Dragon Quest. And so then it kind of creates this animosity of it's like, man, I guess I'm going to be missing out on Spider-Man. That's probably being a little bit too dramatic because mm-hmm. I'm sure I can sneak in Spider-Man here and there. Yeah, but but it's always like... frustrating, even in the most ideal situation, Like, and maybe this isn't the case for everybody, but I like focusing on a game. I like me being too. sucked into a game. Me too, man. Um, and... Sometimes bouncing back and forth can be really good, or it can be really frustrating. It's like, ah, I'm not giving 100% to either one. Especially with those so, two games, you know, yeah. they're, they're so different, but yeah. very similar in a way. Right. In terms of commitment. Right. And, and and pace, even, you know, open world. You know, Dragon Quest is, is open world, but right. still uh, vast. And you mentioned uh, Fist of the North Star blood and i think that's a really good point uh just from a personal level like i i played the japanese demo of fist of the north star i'm not a huge fist of the north star fan but i really like the yakuza team and what i played of the japanese demo and what we played at e3 was awesome i think huber can attest to that (laughs) yeah and it's like man great it's so cool that we're getting this game and it's like but i've been waiting for mega man 11 forever fist of the north star (laughs) is like dead on arrival dude right honestly what a weird time to come out yeah and i i do think and maybe this is too optimistic that in a different time and place, like it really's got a shot. Maybe it has a shot now, but I think when we're going like, ah oh, man, gotta pick and choose, that's not a good sign. No. It's not a good sign. Because yeah. like Spider Man is other than Red Dead, I feel like Spider Man and Spider Man's gonna sell a lot. And the other you thing know, to, and of course Call of Duty and Battlefield, like people right. wait all year just yep. for those two games alone. Right. Um, you know, they might there's a lot of humans out there that buy their franchise game like Call of Duty or Battlefield or Madden mm-hmm. or whatever it may be and then like one or two other games um, and it's a Red Dead year. So, you know, if you're buying Call of Duty or Battlefield and you're buying Red Dead, you maybe get one other game in there. Yeah. And so... I, I do think there... It's a lot. Kind of weird factors here. Like I think about... Kingdom Hearts, right? And this is a game that people have been waiting for for a very, very, very long time. And because, I think, the combination, because they're waiting so long and because they care so much, that might be something where they're like, well, I really want the Collector's Edition. Okay, if I'm going to get the Collector's Edition, that means I can't get these other things that are coming before then. 
Um, and the other thing with Spider-Man that is interesting that we haven't talked about yet is review embargoes as well. Um, because Sony's kind of gotten into this habit of having the review embargo a week before the game mm-hmm. launches. Confidence. Right? And so I think that potentially swallows Dragon Quest even more. I, I don't know when the review embargo is for Dragon Quest, but you know, let's say it's a little bit more traditional and it's a day out from release or on release. That's competing with you know potentially a week-long let's say Spider-Man gets glowing reviews and people are talking about it for an entire week and people are making YouTube videos about it for an entire week. You know, that's really tough to fight against, yeah. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So, I... You just look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe box office numbers. You look at mm-hmm. Spider-Man Homecoming box office numbers. People are hungry yeah. for superheroes still, you know. It's yeah. still going strong. Well, this game has been... And this game, hyped up on TV spots for over ex- a year. Yeah, you know, the yeah. marketing right. machine for Spider-Man dwarfs. <laughs> it had a really good showing at E3. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'm like at this at this point, I'm I'm not even 100 percent convinced that like Square Enix cares that much about Dragon Quest. <laughs> it's like we're just gonna put this on a shelf because we know some people want it. Here you go. I hope it does well. I'm gonna say positive, um, Ben. I think you nailed it perfectly. Where. <laughs> Initial sales may or may not be that strong for for Dragon Quest, right. but it's a game that's going to have legs. It is a game that will carry on as time goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a few months down the line, there's a, there's a sale or something, or they add some content, or you know, I I think I think it can last past you know that initial week of wow, we either sell or we don't, and we're dead. I think it can sell down the line. I do think in different hands, the messaging might be a little bit more aggressive and by consequence, more annoying, but also accurate. You know, it when you're marketing Dragon Quest XI, here's this game that you can spend more than 100 hours in that you don't need any extra DLC for. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not a roadmap for Dragon Quest XI. Yeah. You're, getting, you're getting an incredible amount of stuff you're getting a complete, super polished game, uh, and I, you know, I think that's that's something you promote. Mm-hmm. You you talk about how much you're getting in that, and obviously that messaging, like I said, can be grating. But I just I think there's more value in Dragon Quest XI mm-hmm. than they're making people aware of. Yeah, you know, I I think you have to do more than just hey, it's been a long time since Dragon Quest has been here. Mm-hmm. It's back. It's been on consoles. Yeah. So, Do you think they're not even targeting new people and they just want to target to the people that are already on board and just hope that they carry the torch? I don't think they're doing a I great kind of... job of letting people know why Dragon Quest is special. Yeah. Right. Um, so whoever they're targeting, I, I don't think they're they're kind of tapping into the core appeal of it mm-hmm. or, or why it should be recognized over here. Um, I just always think of Dying Light and Yakuza 0 coming out in that right. January, but now that January no longer hidden. It's yeah. no longer this hidden oasis of game releases. <laughs> and Yakuza 0 is such an interesting case, and I think Nier is a really interesting case as well. Um, and we've talked about those to death on Frame Trap, but 
Yakuza 0, I think the quality of that game obviously helped it a lot. It, 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 Yakuza 0 just didn't look into it, right? A lot of people played it and they were surprised at how good it was. But I think about the marketing for Yakuza 0, especially right at the run the time it came out. And there were all of these like gifts and things of just the crazy shenanigans that you could get into in Yakuza 0. Um, and I feel like that really tapped into the heart of it. It was like, oh, I got to see what that's like. Um, and I remember, and Nier, I think you watched those trailers for Nier and just, you were just so visually captivated mm-hmm. uh, that it was hard not to be curious about it. And then I think the demo helped as well. Yeah. And these games are good enough <laughs> that they can find that audience. I think we live at a time where, where things that couldn't succeed last generation can absolutely succeed now, but you have to give them a little bit of love. Yeah. And I think, you know, to, to go back to the broader question of, like, is it too much? I look at Netflix. Right. And it absolutely is too much. Right. No human can consume everything they want to consume. There's just too many shows. We all have so many shows, so many video games we want to watch, we want to play, and there's just not enough time in the day. So it is a matter of picking what appeals to you, mm-hmm. sticking to your guns, and and committing to that. Um. And that's really all you can do, right. honestly, Right. to, to kind of simplify it down. It's like, is Dragon Quest doomed? I hope not, but there's just too much. And, uh, you know, we live in a Marvel Cinematic Universe era where, <laughs> uh, like, Spider-Man is incredible, dude. Why wouldn't right. you want to play Spider-Man and right. swing through the city and feel the wind on your face, you know? So, it'll be interesting. Do you think... We kind of talked about embargo positioning, but uh, beyond that, do you think these games, their fate is kind of already decided, or do you think there's a huge potential for reviews to kind of change that dynamic a little bit? Like Absolutely. In, in these mm-hmm. situations, how powerful do you think reviews are? When those Dragon Quest reviews start coming out, and, you know, it, it, it matters. If they come out mm-hmm. sevens and eights, I don't think it's going to change anyone's mind. So you're saying... We need above a nine for these. I feel like, yeah. Yeah. I feel like if, because I have no idea really how it did in Japan, you know, and I've only played the demo at E3. Mm-hmm. I could even come back a couple months from now saying, you know, Dragon Quest Eleven, it was good, but, you know, eight's still my favorite. It didn't right. really live up to the hype. Right. Like, the game needs to speak for itself. And if it does, like, it's so powerful now, you know, you look at Rotten Tomatoes having so much power with right. flashing that big fat number in your face you know (laughs) people are going to be more inclined to go see that like reviews do matter when there's so much content so if dragon quest does come out with nines people notice people see that they say oh wow this is an important game um something that used to frustrate me sometimes about earlier video game coverage is because, and I've talked about this to death, but just to reiterate, uh, because there were fewer voices, I think a lot of times you had reviews kind of take the perspective of, oh, this is a super uh, niche thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people don't know about this, yada, yada, yada. And I feel like now, because you have more voices and you have people that are more familiar with this stuff, they're not sort of taking that perspective uh, they're like, no, I, I know what this is. I know why it's great. I can speak to this. And they're treating it like you would any other game. Um, and I do think that that has had a, an effect on people. I do think that is why um, you can have games do well when they come out on other platforms or when a long-awaited sequel comes out. Like, I, I hope 
that when the Dragon Quest Eleven reviews come out, you're not reading a lot of like, well, this is big in Japan, but it struggles in North America. Like just this tired narrative that has been done way too long. Mm-hmm. Not that there isn't truth to it, but I think there's more value in taking it on its own and and not assuming that people don't know about it. Like we don't mm-hmm. we don't need to play like that anymore. Yeah. Like right. just take things as they are. And I think a lot of people did that for Yakuza Zero. I don't think there was as much of the this is kind of like Grand Theft Auto stuff. Yes. I think we, we kind of reached a slightly higher level of discourse there. Yes. Um and I think that is really important uh for these games to succeed too. Uh yeah. Any other any other thoughts on that? A lot of it's aesthetic too, you know? It is a lot yeah. of you look at Dragon Quest, it's a cartoony fantasy game. Like, right. If that's not your thing, cool. Yeah, you, you know, you you like what you like, you know, and and there is, I do think there like is value uh, in it being a Kiritoriyama cartoony, definitely, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's familiar for very yeah. many people. But you look at Damiani prior to his Dragon Ball binge, and right. he didn't didn't care for that art style, so he, right. you know, and uh, you know, you look at something like The Witcher where it's fantasy, but it's you know, yeah, realistic looking, which a lot of people can sure get on board with because it's looks realistic right versus something you know stylized like toriyama art right yeah no it's a fair point it's a fair point i do think a lot of people check out visually it's just i think a little bit hard for me because i find the art style so appealing um that's kind of it's it's hard (laughs) there are definitely people i've seen them that have uh, kind of uh, snubbed their nose at it but i'm just so not there with it so Mm -hmm. it's it's hard for me to understand that an embarrassment of riches ben moore it is an embarrassment of riches. too much too much. <laughs> you know, I want to I want to play Assassin's Creed. How am I going to do that? I uh, I, I, I still haven't figured out when I'm going to play the last Assassin's Creed. <laughs> like, you doing another one this year? Oh gosh. Maybe this was just <laughs> foolish and just maybe my my own personal scope was more limited, but in 2011, like when I started as an intern, I was definitely like I'm going to play all the major stuff that comes out in a year. I'm just yeah. going to do that. And yeah. I, like I I did. I pretty much did. I wasn't perfect at it, but yeah. I pretty much for a number of years, I felt like played every major thing that comes out, and now I have no hope. No hope. Like, <laughs> how am I going to play three battle royale games at once? How yeah. am I going to play Fortnite, Call of Duty, yeah. and Battlefield? There's no human. There's no way. There's no way. And then, and Battlefield is one of my favorite franchises of all time. I always regret not putting more time into Call of Duty because I love it, and now I'm obsessed with Fortnite. So it's like. <laughs> <laughs> But I also have my own personal bullets that I shoot into my head because I'm like, well, maybe I should revisit Fire Emblem Heroes because <laughs> yeah. that's a good idea. Really got to beat what? Valkyrie Chronicles One. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna boot up the special edition of Skyrim for yeah. because just because. So it all comes back to yeah. play what you want to play in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't let your backlog control your life. That's really it. When I, dusted, when, I dusted out that, when I dusted out that PC yesterday, mm-hmm. you know what else I, I had to check on performance? Huh. Witcher 3. Nice. I like, know, me, dude. Because this... like, there was a time that I booted it up like in between there when it was still caked in dust. And I'm like, oh, yeah. this doesn't run as well as it used to. And I'm like, oh, <sighs> now this is yeah, that was the problem. It was a problem all around. It's just stupid dust. After just talking about Witcher so much lately with Cyberpunk and everything, it's I like, know. I had, been, like I've craving had, yep. to go back in. Yeah, baby, yep. I feel the same way. But like, <sighs> black hole. Yeah. It's just a black hole um, of goodness. On a good note, though, it's exciting how much good there is. You know, I say it we is. end it there, Ben. Not of like, we're never going to be able to play all this. 
people are going to play them all, you know? People are going to play Dragon Quest. People are going to play Valkyria Chronicles 4. People are going to play Spider-Man. It just feels good. I just, I, I really truly believe that the general quality of video games is extremely high right now. Yeah. Uh, I know we tend to be very positive folk, but <laughs> I really do. I think we are at an exceptional, not that there aren't stinkers, there totally are, but mm-hmm. like I want to don a, a, a Santa Claus outfit and I want to like personally <laughs> deliver <Yeah>. somehow <laughs> like copies of Hollow Knight even though it is a digital game. Like, I want to I want to go across the just world just dropping and just give them, them in all, the chimneys. Just switches and yeah. laptops with Hollow Knight on them. I just want to give them to you to, <laughs> to have you experience it. That's how good it is. And I want to do that with Dragon Quest mm-hmm. and all this stuff. A lot yeah. of good games. A lot of good games. Are we ready for some emails? Yeah. I'll tell uh, you what uh, everything stops for though. Yeah. Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. Everything. Everything stops. I, October 26th, the world pauses. It stops for, for me Dead. too, but I'm trying to like block it out. <laughs> because it's still a little far away. But Because it's also <laughs> depressing because I know I'm going to drop everything when Reddit 2 comes out. <laughs> yeah. All of it. Um, it is a sweat box in here. It's so hot. Uh, I'm dying. dying. Yeah, it's usually not like this. Yeah. It's like 85 It's, it's like the worst it's ever today. been. Woo! <sighs> Need to dip in a pool. All right. Uh, first email comes in from Jared. He says, hello, Ben and fellow gents. Following Nintendo's E3 and recent news regarding the upcoming fall launch of the Nintendo Switch online service, the news of Virtual Console not coming over, has your opinion on the Nintendo Switch changed, and what's your level of confidence in Nintendo moving forward? The Switch has been an undeniable success, but I can't help but be frustrated by their decisions, particularly surrounding the online infrastructure, scarce offerings, uh, such as NES games, and a very backwards philosophy of what the online experience looks like in 2018. I found their E3 to be very underwhelming, and the first party of Nintendo's 2018 is disappointing in my opinion. It seems like they have much a much more casual audience with something like Pokemon Let's Go, and the very hardcore with Smash, but what else do they have? Do you think the Switch honeymoon period is over? Um, there is more to that email, but I'm going to cut it there. I think we hmm. get the crux of the question there. Do you think the honeymoon... I have a very strong opinion on this. I have I a very strong it. opinion, and I say yes. Hot take, yes. Mm, yep. My hot take is no. Yep. Because <laughs> you're playing Hollow Knight. It's more than that, but yes, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, I haven't touched my Switch in a, in months. Mm. Just haven't touched it. Been playing things on other systems, and you know, my concern has always been like when Mario and Zelda comes out, what's next? And for me, what's next is Smash. And that's down the line. I know Mario Tennis comes out. I really want to play it. It's out. It's out. $60 is a hard asking price for me to commit for Mario Tennis. Um, Nintendo has always been for me. And it always will be first party. Um, Mario, Zelda, Metroid, Animal Crossing, Smash, all that good stuff. Huber, I've never yep. been more frustrated. I know. Uh, I'm so frustrated. I know. Um, because I still, I live in Los Angeles, I still don't use my Switch in handheld mode. It is a feature that I was in love with at the beginning of it because of the novelty, but now that's kind of worn off, and there's just no, there's no situation in my personal life when I'm using the Switch on the handheld. I'm either playing on my TV or... Uh, playing a video game on my TV or 
driving somewhere, going to work and seeing a movie or doing daily life stuff. Um, and I was kind of underwhelmed with their E3 showing. It was smash heavy. Um, it was discouraging not to see Animal Crossing, not to see any Metroid. I know those games are either non-existent or far away. But, uh, and, and the online stuff as well. Like, to me, it's at a very important, like, the Switch life is at a very important moment for me personally. Like, if Smash doesn't run well online, if we run into the same... Yeah, that's a fair point. The same mm-hmm. old Nintendo infrastructure woes of the past. Like, if they still do not have the, have this ironed out for the launch, like launch I, I don't want this like oh well it's broken at launch but they'll fix it down the line like this is your biggest game you're coming out around christmas like this is your marquee game of the year there will be no excuse so i'm kind of just waiting around in a holding pattern for that moment that's my hot take <laughs> hey bro i want to i want to <laughs> throw this at you because i feel very differently yes and i am generalizing here but it's a sentiment that i see a lot that i find very frustrating yes um I feel like a lot of people very rigidly define their Nintendo experience. Yeah. Um, and I think for some people, there are things that are very universal. And so we had a year, we had uh, Breath of the Wild, and we had Mario <laughs> Odyssey. And that <laughs> appeals, I think, to <laughs> almost all people who are interested yeah. and, in Nintendo. And Mario Kart. Yeah. Right, and Mario Kart. Humans yeah. who like video games. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I think people kind of get into this situation where they're like, this is what I want out of Nintendo, and if they're not giving me that, then I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think that can be way too rigid. And I think you see this happen with the GameCube. And again, this is just my own personal perspective, but I remember around the time of the GameCube, they were doing so many new and crazy things that a lot of people were dismissing because it was kind of unfamiliar to them. And now, a lot of the people that gave that stuff a chance and enough time went on that people could kind of get over that initial hump, they fell in love with it, and that's some of the stuff that you see them clamoring for the most. Mm -hmm. Um, I sort of feel like that's happening with Nintendo, not exactly in parallel with the GameCube situation, but I think it's really easy to go, ah, Mario Tennis, whatever, and move on. But based on my experience so far, and this could change, that's a great game. Yeah, but 60 bucks, Ben. I understand. Fortnite's free. I understand. I understand. But, like, all I care about is great games. That's all I care about. And, like, yes, you can argue things like Celeste and Hollow Knight are not exclusive. That's totally fair. But I think a lot of people haven't played it. And it's, like, $15. I don't remember how much Celeste is, but I don't think it's that much. And that's a phenomenal game. And I feel like all the time I'm coming to the eShop and there are cool things to check out. You talk about being free. You want to get away from the $60 of Mario Tennis. Hollow Knight is $15. Yeah, that is. And right now, you can play three hours of Octopath Traveler for free. So cool. Um, yeah. Oh, Octopath's coming out. Right. Yeah, just a couple weeks away now. For God even with, about even, that one. Even with okay, Octopath, so back. Even with Octopath, I feel like uh, there are people who go like, ah, you know, I don't care about RPGs, whatever, it's not for me. And it's like, why take that approach when you could just download something for free and give it a shot? Like, I'm not saying you have to like it, Mm -hmm. of course. I want you to like and not like whatever you want, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But be open-minded because there are so many things that you could find that really, like, enrich your life that if you just remove... 
this like super tight frame mm-hmm. and you don't have to invest that much. You don't have to spend $60. You might really fall in love with. And I think that's super important. Like even like Splatoon 2 is phenomenal and everything that I've heard, mm-hmm. this expansion like injects so much life into this already great game. And so it's like when people say there's nothing happening with Nintendo, I look at my Switch right now and I'm like, there's a lot happening. And I don't just think this is Nintendo bias. I think I'm really trying to come from a place of what I'm personally experiencing. For sure. But it's, if you just own the Switch, a lot's happening. But I own a PC, a PlayStation 4, and an Xbox One. Right. And anything third party, I'm going to play on my my PlayStation 4 Pro. Because mm-hmm. it's going to look better, it's going to run better. But that's not always the case, though. Like, Hollow Knight is not a game that's going to look or Hollow run Might better is a beautiful example of yeah. where it's right. not even on ps4 it's right. on switch and pc right now yeah. great great switch game of course yeah. right. and like, i think uh what i haven't got to put too much time into it but like uh yoku's island express mm-hmm. there's another game that's like this is a good game to have whether you're home or portable like but you're that's gonna the have thing, that Earth, i can't take advantage of that portability which is one of the number one selling points of nintendo switch and that's where i'm coming from only because but i think sometimes one, with some I of those it's the, like even if it's like in the back pocket of like i know it's not see, gonna run worse but I, I, so i might as well get it on something like and i i, yeah. but I, I, I can't I, fight i can't <laughs> fight you on this because i can't speak to your life but like i'm going home for two weeks mm-hmm. uh starting on wednesday mm-hmm. And I can't wait to play Mario Tennis and Hollow Knight and maybe get some more moons in Mario Odyssey. Mm -hmm. Like, these are all games that, like, I couldn't easily... Types of games that I couldn't easily play in handheld form before. Mm -hmm. I know there are exceptions to that. But, like, in a general sense, that's really cool to me. You know, I can... I I know you go on a plane a lot. Like... Yeah. Like, but when I travel, too, like, even when I travel and, like, bring my Switch for work, like, I'm usually just tired and lay in the hotel and, like, throw sure. a movie on you know like mm. i just get i i never will be able to take full advantage of a handheld it's just not my lifestyle like yeah. i just can't like it was really cool when switch came out and like we i brought it over to a friend's house and we were like playing mario kart and like those moments are fantastic and it, there's so much value there but for my personal lifestyle i'm either gaming at home or i'm not right that and that that's just what, what it comes down to for me Sure. And I also think the the like if you just own a Switch, things are happening. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it, it like to dismiss Nintendo and say nothing is happening, uh, I think is a gross overstatement. Yeah, the list <laughs> the list of games, I mean, and sure there's like a fair amount of shovelware, but like the the Thursday list where they like here's twenty games that are out this week, it's it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Like it's easily as much or sometimes more than like the same lists I get from the Xbox or PlayStation stores, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't know if it's just because I have pretty broad tastes when it comes to games, but mm-hmm. with the Wii U, I was really frustrated. And we got into arguments about the Wii U because I was like, man, there's really great stuff on this platform and there's stuff on this platform that you just cannot get anywhere else. My frustration with the Wii U is that I felt like I would have this period of like hyper goodness and there would be three months of nothing. Yeah. And I feel like... It's not necessarily week to week. I wouldn't go quite that frequent, but pretty often I can check in on the on the eShop on Switch and be excited at what's there. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting a more regular feed of stuff, yeah, whether it be the... indie games or updates to things or new first party stuff. I just feel like I'm getting more than I did on the Wii U. For sure. Yeah, the last thing Mario I played on there was uh, Subsurface Circular, which just saw it on the eShop, mm. read an article about it, was like awesome. You know, but that was when I was on vacation and had my switch on me and 
planned ahead accordingly, but still, like, that was a three-hour game. I was on vacation for a week. I didn't even, like, finish it until I got home. Right. So it's it's hard for me to play on the go, you know? I like yeah. to just be in the comfort of my house on the couch or... Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, if, if anything, like, you know, the thing that you could say is, like, this isn't the year that Nintendo's going to be getting Game of the Year. Like, last year we had two Game of the Year contenders mm-hmm. on the Switch. Mm-hmm. This year it's like, okay, Smash Bros. is going to be good. It's probably not going to move the needle in terms of, like, even even if I'm excited for it. Like, mm-hmm. it's not going to move the needle. I'm like, oh, this is the Game of the Year. Like, I doubt it. Mm-hmm. I doubt it's going to be there. Like, Super Mario Party, I hope that is awesome. Oh, yes. Been burned too many times, though, to even that get track excited. track record is like, I don't know. Yep. We'll see. Right. Cautiously optimistic. But with the turnaround of Mario Tennis, I'm a little bit better, though, know, because mm-hmm. it's like, have they just been, like, shoveling them out before because they know they would sell no matter what, and mm-hmm. now they're like, let's actually, like, put the effort in this time. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that, that'll be there. I do think it's just this dismissiveness that really frustrates me, though, and yeah. I, I've been there, too. I've been overly dismissive at times. I'm not guilt-free with that, but... I feel like even conversations amongst us before Mario Kart 8 came out, I was like, mm-hmm. ah, whatever, you know, it'll be fine. Sells crazy, yeah. you know? Like, Mario Party's going to sell. Let's oh, just yeah. say that but, right but, now. But that's, no joke. I feel it's kind of what I'm saying is is people get in this mindset before they even either fully understand what it is or get their chance to play it. They're just like, ah, I know exactly how I feel about that. I'm going to put this in its corner. And it's just like, wh- why Why do we live like that? Mm-hmm. Like. If you have a Switch and you're excited about it, like, why not give these things a chance? Maybe it will be exactly yeah. as you're describing, but, yeah. like, it's just... Mario Tennis, this... I really want to play. It's just too expensive. Sure. And I, like... I get that. I get that. Um, I do wonder what this online nonsense is going to do with the momentum, though, because it is strange that, like, yeah, all these games that you're playing right now, uh, you won't be able to play them unless you pay up. Yeah. That's going to be a barrier for a lot of people. I'm but, also curious whether it's going to apply to Fortnite or not, because Fortnite's right. whole thing is being mm-hmm. free. But um, they seem like they're. But I mean, it's prob- got a good I mean, relationship what is going it, on. With PlayStation it. Four, you probably have to have Plus, right? For, for Fortnite, Fortnite, I don't think so. My friends play have Plus now. The thing is, is like mm. you you brought up Fortnite, Huber, and you could totally play that on Switch. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that is. But a- when I play, I play at home. But that is like right. the idea of being able to play it anywhere. Is amazing and, and, and not on a phone. And not on a yeah. phone is yeah. amazing. Right. Um, again, it's just I don't, I don't, have, I can't play elsewhere. Um, but you bring up you bring up the Mario <laughs> Tennis thing, and you know I can't say for sure. I'm pretty loose when it comes to buying games, admittedly. But <laughs> my intensity of interest in Mario Tennis came from playing it for free during when they had the online tournament thing. Mm. I was like. Oh, oh, I get a really good sense of this. Now I feel more confident in buying it. And so, like, that I feel like is a pretty smart move. And they're doing yeah. that with a lot of things. I forgot uh, about Octopath, well. dude. That is, like, yeah. one of my most hyped. Yeah. So, shame on me for and forgetting like, that. And, like, think about that Octopath demo. Like, yeah. Yes, two, I, yeah, two huge demos, man. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you can pick any of the main characters. You get three hours go. Like, mm-hmm. that. that is awesome. Yeah. To, to, I'm not going to stand here and say Nintendo is failing at all. Right, right I'm right. just saying my personal usage of it. Right. has been uh, less than expected. Totally. But if I remove myself from the situation and I look at a massive summer JRPG hitting, I look at the end of the year, you know, one of the biggest franchises coming back, you look at Fortnite on the Switch, and, uh, you know, even smaller, like Mario Tennis to me is a small game, but a big game as well. Right. Things are happening. Yeah, and <laughs> Hubert, to be completely fair to you, I've, I've heard a number of people say like, oh man, that E3 did nothing for me. I haven't played my Switch in a long time. And mm-hmm. so like, 
I think there is something going on. It's just is completely at odds with my own experience, and so it's interesting to talk about it. Yeah, like uh, it's it's uh, it's always a tricky thing with Nintendo. It's like, is it okay if they take a year off? You know, like I wouldn't call 2018 a year off because we're getting Smash right. and some other hitters along the way, but it's like, shouldn't there be? Or should should there or should there not be a Mario, a Zelda, a Metroid, a Smash? Like shouldn't like should one of those games come out at least every year? I, I think what enough? makes those games so special is they have <laughs> enough time to really be outstanding experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if we turned if we tried to force that into the Assassin's Creed, some sort of oh, we've also got that big Xenoblade right expansion too. Right, which. Might be a hard sell if you're not already invested in Xenoblade, but mm-hmm. like again, to me, yeah, yeah. that's super <laughs> exciting. Um, what I'm really curious about, and I think what is going to answer this question for me, not definitively, but move my opinion uh, more strongly in one direction or the other, is how Fire Emblem does. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because you've kind of seen this thing happen on Switch where I think a lot of stuff that's come out that has exceeded expectations, and... If Fire Emblem comes out and it does really, really well and it reaches an audience, an even bigger audience, I, I think that would let me know where the Switch is at mm-hmm. at this period of time. So Yeah, and it's just, I guess I look at it like it's, you know, I do kind of put my Switch in a box, Ben, like you don't want me to, but it's like I respect Nintendo's first party more than anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a Zelda and Mario... Those are in a league of their own for me. I respect Resident Evil is my favorite franchise, mm-hmm. but I respect Mario and Zelda like more than any franchises on earth. Like those are classics, and yeah. they're always a ten out of ten for me. I love them, but it's so hard not to be disappointed when we're not getting a Dragon Quest Eleven Switch version here. We don't get yeah. Battlefield. We don't get Call of Duty. We don't get Spider Man. Like we don't. We don't get Assassin's Creed on there. Like. The biggest games of the year are not on Switch. Yeah, I think and the that thing... is that like obviously lessens my view of it. I get it, and I I just have a completely different perspective. Where that's an argument that I've heard about Nintendo for a long time mm-hmm. is, hey, the biggest stuff isn't here, mm-hmm. and to me, it's like I don't necessarily care about the biggest stuff being there. I care about having unique experiences on this thing or different experiences that's where i really value it like if battlefield 5 came out on switch it would do nothing for me like (laughs) maybe it would do a lot for a lot of other people (laughs) but when you have something where it's like this is this is gonna run better on other things it's (laughs) like i'm i'm not playing it here and i think that's probably true for a lot of people (laughs) but like say what you will I, i know i know it's not everybody's thing but i think splatoon 2 is an incredible game and feels unlike anything and when you have this this yeah. huge expansion and, and you continue to support it with these free updates it's like this you're really carving out your own space in this super cool way for me absolutely like, that's why it's but that that too leans into my point of like it's running its own race it's its own thing right i'll get to it when they give me something for me you know well, mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 running its own race <laughs> but i feel like that's supplemented by like like Indies that I want to play on Switch, mm-hmm. where where you don't have that question of what's the best way it's going to run. It's mm-hmm. like, well, let me play this in handheld mode. Like, yeah. 
I rebought Axiom Verge because of that. I bought Celeste on Switch because of that. I bought Holland on Switch because of that. Where it's like, I feel like it's being supplemented by these smaller things, but those add up in addition to these super unique experiences like Splatoon or, you know, Breath of the Wild or whatever it is. So Octo. Octopath Traveler. Dude, right. Octopath. Yeah. yeah. So pumped. Yeah, and it's... <laughs> mm. I think a lot of people could love Octopath if they gave it a chance. And I you can. And do. you can you give can. it a chance. It's free. <laughs> yeah. Free. Right. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> and a lot of demos... And the thing is, a lot of demos are really frustrating, and it's hard for me to even recommend some demos, because it's like, you really don't get a sense of this game. <laughs> like, you, nope, sorry. Like, you, they cut you off after a few minutes, and it sort of sucks, but... When you have three hours. Three hours and your progress saves right, to the main over. game. Drive that point home. It's pretty good. That's the best way to do a demo. Yeah. Ever. Uh, we're going to go to another platform for this one. Uh-oh. Uh, this is from Michael. PlayStation potential image problem. <laughs> Uh, I think it has been creeping up on us for quite a while, but it became especially apparent to me during this E3. PlayStation is kind of a jerk right now and a far cry from the days of Jack Tretton's mic drop. In my eyes... Uh, PlayStation has been pretty hands-off with its community management, not exactly improving their services or adding features, and still refusing to budge on cross-play. They have developed an absolutely historic stable of first-party studios and a well-earned, loyal uh, fan base, but will be enough, and will it last? Their E3 showcase had fantastic content, but the presentation itself was a complete disaster, in my opinion. They went from grand E3 shows, the live orchestra, to a literal barn and cringeworthy musical numbers, absolutely certain that it would wow us. Frankly, I have never seen a more pretentious E3 press conference. I feel like they've had this hair of hubris around them for a while, and now that we are slowly entering the next generation, I'm starting to wonder if they will be introspective enough to not repeat their mistakes they made with the PS3 or make new ones coming from their same place of dominance. I'm only now entering the current gen, and I did the math. With all the games I want to play, it will be more cost-efficient for me to get out a 1X with Game Pass and a second-hand PS4 with a handful of exclusives than a PS4 Pro and all of those same games, even at significant discounts. Whatever Xbox 2 is, it will have a friendly attitude and a thousand games on launch. Do you think that Sony is taking this aspect of the console race seriously? Will PS5 be backwards compatible? And will it have its own Game Pass with a comparable library at a competitive price point? Or will they double down on being a boutique product with limited features relying on their first-party lineup? I feel like they might stumble big time if it's the latter. Beautiful question. My opinion of Sony has gone down slightly Mm -hmm. with this Fortnite controversy. Mm -hmm. You know, they're clearly on a high horse. Um... Microsoft, I feel like for the last year and a half has just been all about the people. Yeah. You know, with backwards compatibility and Games Pass and just their E3 messaging of buying the studios and everything. Like, Microsoft is feeling really friendly right now. Uh, <laughs> for me, though, it's hard. It's hard. And I want to, and I want a little bit, I want to know what you guys think because. I don't let the politics really get to me. Yeah. Of this I hate the console whole, wars. Of console wars. It's just nonsense. The games are the only real thing that matters to yep. me. Do I want to play this game, yes or no? And Sony's first party dominates. They're in a position where like I mean if they if they came out and were like straight up jerks, like we don't like, you know. It's one thing to come out and, like, be vicious and vindictive as a company, but, like, they, they're they a business. They didn't turn on cross-play with Fortnite. That's kind of messed up, but 
it's business. It's it is what it is. Right. Um, I'm not going to take that out on someone like Naughty Dog. You know, I'm not going to boycott The Last of Us because Sony didn't put on crossplay with Fortnite. Right. Where do you guys stand? Do, like, if a, in the situation. Um, I I agree with both you and Michael. I think in different ways. Um, when I think about this generation of games, a lot of the games that first come to my mind that I enjoyed the most and I thought were the most impressive, I could only play on a Sony platform. That's mm-hmm. just the way it is. The way it was for me. <laughs> um, I think the crossplay thing is really frustrating. Mm-hmm. I do sense a little bit of hubris that is frustrating, but when you compare it to the PS3, what's so frustrating about the PS3 is they were charging this ridiculous price for a system that had no great, out, like truly outstanding games on it, right? And they were being really arrogant about the success of the PS2, and they had a system that just didn't have anything exciting going on. Um, and where it is for Xbox, I agree. I think the Xbox is making a ton of great moves. I think mm-hmm. the, the Game Pass is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, and I think they're making a lot of decisions to try to be as people-pleasing as possible. Yeah. But it still stands, the games aren't there for me. Yeah. Um, there's nothing coming out that is an Xbox exclusive other than, other than Forza Horizon, which I am very excited about. Uh, but is like really earth shattering to me in a big way. And I, I felt that for a while on Xbox. Like I was super stoked on State of Decay 2 and it just ended up kind of bumming me out. I was super excited for Sea of Thieves and it just kind of ended up bumming me out. Uh, the same with Halo Wars 2. Like they, they don't super knock it out of the park. And it's not because I don't want them to. It's just It's just been happening. And I feel like that's been a pretty common opinion. And so... In a way, like, I think the efforts that Microsoft is doing matters, but what's really going to push them over the edge, and this will be a different conversation, when they have the big games to back it up. I think that needs to come. It needs to happen. I do Mm -hmm. think it's important. And if we can get into a point where Microsoft is bringing that, then I then I think they have the advantage over Sony. But that's not going to happen until that point, in my opinion. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of these things where, I don't know, we may just always see this back and forth of the, the underdog versus the, yeah. the leader. You know, it's like... Totally. It's really hard to see, like, where where does Sony actually benefit from crossplay other than the the good op- optics, right? You just know, being the, the a quoted, good company, just being a yeah. nice company, being the, a good The quoted company. reason being that, like, you can spend all this money on the Xbox... Xbox gets a cut of that money and then you're using it on the PlayStation 4 like you can see like why a business person be like well that's odd like how do we get the cut of that money for mm-hmm. being on our platform you know um, it's just you want to see them take yeah. the high road you want to see them yeah. absolutely be okay with it I would like to see Nintendo stop doing a lot of right. things mm-hmm. you know but it's like you know it, it's like one of those things too with like Game Pass like Sony has PlayStation now, but like I don't feel like they're communicating like why you, anyone should care about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it seems, seems like a side yeah. effort. Yeah, it's like this this thing here that like yay, you know, if if you don't have a lot of money and you don't care about like the quality of the service, then here you go, these <laughs> kind of thing. Right. Um, but uh, you know, at the same time, I really question whether Game Pass would be what it is. If 
Microsoft had the same right. level of quality on their first party games. Yeah. Would they really be giving first party games their day one access <laughs> for what is it, ten dollars a month? Yeah. Like that's Didn't even think unlikely that. for Sony to do that. There, there's no way when people are lining up for Spider Man they're gonna say, Hey, we can just have it for ten bucks a month, you know. Like <laughs> Uh, and it would be one thing I think if we were talking about these differences in attitude if I wasn't super excited for Sony things that are around the corner like Spider-Man looks great as we've talked about to death Mm -hmm. Uh, Death Stranding I'm very interested in not just because it's Kojima but because I actually think it looks like a really cool game Uh, Ghost of Tsushima uh, I keep saying ghosts it's Ghost of Tsushima yeah uh, Last of Us Part Two. I mean, these are all, in my opinion, extremely heavy hitters that I do not want to miss. Right, and we're talking, you know, multiple of them every year. Right. Whereas, like, again, with Game Pass, like, if Halo comes out in two years and they hook you in now, mm-hmm. then like, yeah, they've gotten like enough months out of you to pay for Halo. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah, I mean, just speaking personally, like Microsoft's stock in my eyes has gone up the yeah, way they've absolutely. been you know oh, yeah. Yeah. the way they've been doing everything i do think they should be commended for those like, things like i used to just you know not like i have an xbox i'm down with their their exclusive games i'm always right. gonna give those a shot the ones that look interesting right. um but i guess it was just kind of out of my mind really microsoft mm-hmm. right now i'm i'm i i see you microsoft i yeah. see you <laughs> The uh, and then the, yeah, the other thing with crossplay is it's just it's one of those things where like Sony is just Sony yeah. is just last. Yeah, like what it's, is, it's actually not? kind of why unfathomable not? that the other platforms are doing it. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that like Nintendo is allowing that to happen. Exactly. But I think like, when they do it, it yeah. should be a wake up call to you. Yeah. yeah. Like, Nintendo and Microsoft on Twitter. Is the greatest thing ever in <laughs> them communicating. I love it. But we, we talked about this console warring at the, t- the top of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really care who's on top. No. I don't. Because... Just give me the games. Just give me the games. That's what I want. But I do think this stuff matters, and I do think this is, this is how the ground starts to shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you would ask me at the height of last generation... I think the I think Microsoft handled the Xbox 360 beautifully. Mm-hmm. I think that that console did so many things right. I couldn't believe how much they did wrong with the start mm-hmm. of the Xbox One. I you could have said like the PS2 is one of the greatest systems of all time. I think that is that is inarguable. Mm-hmm. That library is incredible, and they handled it so well. I couldn't believe the bungling of the PS3. It was like alternate reality shit. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen next generation. Maybe. You know, this is, has kicked Sony enough that they're, they're not Sony, Microsoft enough that they're going to have an incredible Xbox 2 or whatever the hell it ends mm-hmm. up being called. Uh, I don't know. But all that matters is that we're still getting incredible games. Yeah. I, it, it's just disappointing, though, because, like, I, lo- I love games even more when I love the humans behind it. Yeah, you know? totally. Like, getting a... Ninja Theory game, you know, I just feel it feels good because right. you know you watch all those developer diaries, you see them talking about it. Like, I love getting bought. Like, if a game is great and the people making it are great, it just makes it even better. Right. So it's disappointing to see 
Don't squander that goodwill. Yeah, it's right. disappointing to see Sony kind of uh, be elitists in a way. It is. In it this is situation, you know, it's especially when you consider how hard they worked in the second half of the PS3's life to mm-hmm. get out there and add some of that humanity and get people that you would get attached to. It is very, very, very weird. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, because it feels like Microsoft is really fighting that fight at the mm-hmm. moment. like For the people. Yeah. That's the messaging I'm getting. Yeah. <laughs> you would just... It makes it feel insincere, right? When Sony fought for it so hard until the tides turned. Yeah. Now they're right. on top. Now they're just looking down from their mountain. Right. You but know? could the same thing not happen with Microsoft yet again? Yeah, I mean, like, it's, just, like it's, it's just a saying. cycle. Yeah. It's just a cycle. Mm-hmm. I do think, though... Uh, in particular, you know, after the way this beginning of the generation panned out, that they're both way more aware of this kind of stuff. Like, you even if, yeah, even if Sony is slow on the crossplay thing, like overall, like they're going to be looking for the things that are going to make people happy, make them have good buzz, and not just be like, because especially now, like we can't expect any box to like super wow us with technology. Right. Like they've got to introduce, you know, systems and features and things that will be game changing in other ways, kind of like the share button was this, this time around, you know? And like the switch being handheld. Yeah. Super cool. And I do think that Sony has done stuff relatively recently that did help them. That wasn't necessarily for the people, but the PlayStation four pro coming out before the Xbox one X is, is a, big deal in my opinion mm-hmm. like I, I imagined if the xbox one x existed in isolation and didn't have the playstation 4 pro before it um i do think the xbox one x is obviously a more impressive thing but first still matter mm-hmm. uh what was first playstation plus free games or xbox playstation Gold? plus yep, yeah playstation plus giving those free games away right amazing and them being ahead on the you can play used games here they mm-hmm. given the disc like I do think there has been kind of a savviness that has been present throughout. It's just been accompanied by weird things along the line, like the, yeah. the crossplay thing. But I think in their mind, and maybe they're right, this isn't really going to hurt us that much. I think that's what yeah. they're thinking. And it's not. And it's like they've done so much good. I'm not going to let one or two things completely change and my that's opinion. That's what they're betting on. I B- think exactly. Yeah. But right. I'm going to take a note. Right. Put it in my book of blood. Right. You know, put that down in the corner. <laughs> I remember. I won't remember this, <laughs> Sony. Because I really wanted to play Fortnite on Switch just to try it out. I didn't even try it out because of the whole account Sony thing. You know, I'm so committed on oh, yeah. my, my PS4. Like, I didn't even get to try it out on Switch because I'm not going to have two accounts. It's too much. You know, can't I? I don't know. Can't so you, you can't carry your PlayStation Four progress into the Switch version, but you can carry your Xbox and PC. Xbox and PC. That is yes. garbage. Yes, yeah. that's garbage. Yes, it's garbage. It is trash. Absolute trash. That is garbage. Yep. But they okay. won because now I'm not using my Switch to play Fortnite. They got me. Okay, so <laughs> the real question is, going forward, let's say you know to expect this out of Sony, let's say Fortnite 2 comes out, would that yes. swing the needle for you? Yes, it would. I would be very, very, like, cross-play games now in the future, Ben, I'm going to pause. Right. I'm going to pause and oh, reflect. Yeah. Say, okay, does this game have the, you know, will this game be cross-play? 
let me let me figure this out before I pull the trigger and buy it on PlayStation. So we normally do three emails. We're gonna we, we had some pretty hefty conversations with us first. I two. liked those. I liked them too. <laughs> and I'm dying. It's of heat. <laughs> um, no, I I any questions that can make us go into conversations like that i really appreciate mm-hmm. if you would like to try to ask us a question they don't all have to be serious sometimes the fun ones are good too uh please email askeasyallies at gmail.com we're actually going to be shooting another frame trap on monday uh so if you are hearing this you want to get your question in do that uh, because i'm going to be gone for two weeks uh get it in askeasyallies at gmail.com is the email address i would like to thank Daniel Bloodworth right next to me and Michael Huber at the end for suffering through the heat with me, putting up with my shenanigans. Uh, And we will see you next time.